Hello. Hi. Hi. There we go. Oh. The second hi is what gets you. (laughs) There's a weird gap between when you pick up and when when you actually are audible. Well, I do say a hi, and I don't think you ever hear the first hi. No, I don't. I just hear this. I answer immediately with a hi, and then I'm like, hmm, you didn't like the enthusiasm. Okay, I'll tone it down a notch, like uh, be more casual. Hey, uh, oh, I didn't see you there. How are you? Were you calling today? Oh, is it today? Oh, okay. That's right. I wasn't sitting here waiting for you to call eight minutes minutes after you're supposed to. No, I was already at Microsoft uh, was like, uh, hey, you want to upgrade everything on Skype? No. No, I don't. Well, you know, you're a little out of date. Maybe you want to. No, I don't want to. Thank you, Microsoft. I'd rather not do that now. It'll take a while. No, no, thanks. Appreciate it, but no, I'm good. Yeah. We'll give you the vaccine if you do. What? No, no, I don't want that. Don't Bill Gates... What can you what can you possibly be updating on this twenty year old program? Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's something two you tin cans on a string. You know? it's like, <laughs> something you hadn't thought of. <laughs> Wait, we just had a great idea. Twenty years into this program, yeah. All I can think is on the video end they want to throw on some filters and stuff. Mm, and, yeah, they want know. the cat filter on there now. Yep, that's what everyone wants. Well, what they should do is they should make a filter that's uh, a cat lawyer. So just in case these lawyers do end up getting catted, at least they still look like they're ready for, you know, going to court. (laughs) Kitty court. (laughs) What do I know? I'm just an old cat lawyer. That's right. Meow, meow. So that's an old meow, meow to me. You know, they say habeas meowis. Yeah. I I may be fixed, but so's the system. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're out of litter and you're out of litter <laughs> cat it cut no that's a different that was cat's day afternoon that's right that's a wrong <laughs> All right. with uh, Al Pacino P-A-W <laughs> oh, I used to, I used to and... write cartoons where that was the kind of gag <laughs> Oh, it's so. I was just trying to think of it. Would be John Kesmiali. Oh, forget it. I know it's it's hard. <laughs> there's uh, there's a there's a Simpsons episode that both Roger and I were watching once, and it uh, had like a, a two dogs, cartoon dogs, mm-hmm. and one said, uh, "You know, let's wrap this up early. I've got a date with Sarah Jessica Barker," and then the other dog goes, "Nice." <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's basically it in a nutshell. Every one of those damn jokes. Yep. Mm-hmm. What do you respond to that? Yeah, I guess. I guess that's technically a joke. <laughs> technically. Yeah, you can write that off yeah. of your taxes as a joke. Well, isn't that the uh, uh, funny as money, clever as never? That is. Oh, okay. I heard uh, funny as money, uh, wit as shit. Oh, well, that's yeah. very coarse. I, you know. Although, thank you for keeping our explicit rating fresh. Oh, you are. Yeah. We haven't sworn enough lately. Yeah, they were didn't take it off. I got a message. There's more swearing in a Justice League movie than this. <laughs> I tried to watch that. We'll talk about it on the air then. Okay, let's start the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Dedrick. And I'm Ian Boothby. And I assume I'm hosting this episode because I'm starting it. And you yeah, that's right. And you didn't stop me and say, no, it's my turn. No, you're a, it's an odd number. You're an odd number. It all works out pretty yes. well. Yes, 
I like when things point, are at apt. some point. Yeah, I'm just giving you a warning. Mm-hmm. I have to go and dash uh, to upstairs. I'm doing this in the basement. Uh, okay. My place. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> You're making it too clear, but that's, that's fine. Yeah. Not in right. your neighbor's place. If anyone wants to hunt me for sport, I'm in the basement. That's where I'm hiding. <laughs> at my place, not at my neighbor's. Yeah. yeah, I have an unsafe room. Mm. It's really exposed. Lots of sharp things you can stab me with. Um, but uh, <laughs> my groceries are showing up uh, at a certain point, and I can't leave them outside because, you know, coyotes. So <laughs> I have a panicking room. Even the room is terrified. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you, dog. Yeah, that's, nice. good... <laughs> that's how you know it was a good joke. Someone goes, "Good for you." Good for you. <laughs> well, you even in, even in Canada, you'll get that. I remember making my friend laugh uproariously. Then when he was done, he went, "Pretty good." I was like, oh, <laughs> "That's as good as I'm gonna get." It's Canada, or as it used to be with like comedians, they just nod and just go, mm. "Yeah." <laughs> that's right. I didn't, go like that. I did a lot of work for that joke. Yeah, then you got to Yeah, that's right. There you go. It's all like, listen, I'm uh, hardened. I'm hardened to humor, <laughs> but I'll cry like a baby. That's a commercial with a dog. <laughs> all the dog wanted was respect. <laughs> so why are you doing uh, DoorDash? Oh, I'm not doing DoorDash. I'm doing um, uh, getting uh, groceries over by Instacart. Mm, I just meant you're going upstairs to your door. Oh, I'm dashing to my... Yeah. Technically, I am doing a door dash. Yeah, that's what I meant. But I won't be skipping any dishes because I will <laughs> be eating off of they're not, they're not on the floor, so I don't have to, run right. over, have to jump over them. Yeah, and I'm not going to be <laughs> skipping up the stairs to, uh, to, to get them. There's just it's, uh, it's fine. I've never had any issues with anyone taking the bags or anything that are out there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to leave a bunch of food... Um, I got... Uh, we got ravens in the area. Yeah, so they're protecting it. Listen, I don't, I don't need that. They're not going to steal your food. They're protecting people, for, protecting you from people taking your food. There was a time, uh, like about two weeks ago, where I had <laughs> okay. some. Yeah, there was made time. it sound like it was a long time ago. There was a time. There was yeah. I'm trying. To, I was trying to picture like when it was, but then <laughs> okay. realistically, it was about two weeks ago. Okay. Um, where I got something delivered, mm-hmm. food wise, mm-hmm. and the crows realized what was going on. Oh. And they just like went ah. And started throwing the bags around. Oh, really? Get, yeah, and I was like, "Oh, that's no good. That's no good." So, if, huh. if, if that if they start smartening up to that, I'm not going to be able to put, have yeah. anything put on the front. Yeah, yeah. Just have to have mm-hmm. poison delivered. Oh, I, that didn't mean that. I don't want people. To oh, it's smart. Not, no, don't would figure it crows. out. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'd be like having a drink, and I look out the window, and want to be just like pointing to the glass, and, like nodding, giving me a wink. Ah, shit! He poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> my Ribena. Why am I drinking Ribena? That's the problem. There's there's no people outside, so the crows are taking over. It's gone from COVID to Corvid, just like that. Ah, there you are. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. It's all nice. I appreciate it. This is as far as I can go. I've gone, I've gone nuts. I went nuts months ago. But, you know, thanks for tolerating it. Especially to our listeners. This is fine. I'm just a big bag of crackers waiting for a shot. Oh, congratulations to uh, Lisa for getting a shot. Yes, she got a shot. And I'm going to go later today and see if I can make an appointment to get one. Because they're, oh, they're doing the AstraZeneca. For people who are 55 and over, you can just, like, see if you can get in. And they'll give it to you because there's everyone's scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> but um it's, yeah it's so it's so rare the uh, it's so rare of all the shots there's been 30 reported cases and sorry to be sexist but it's all been women so i'm okay and then it's uh under 55 
it seems to be the risk group, so I, I fall outside of that. So uh, there you go. Not female, aged, uh, perfectly fine for the AstraZeneca. So yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, Lisa told me that they're just taking like um, at-the-door appointments at the local drugstores. So after we finish here... I'm going to go over there and see if I I'm can just, get my name Yeah, down. I'm just picturing that it's like a nightclub. They got the velvet rope and mm-hmm. they got a bouncer there. It's just like real muscle guy. Loud pulsing music, lights yeah, flashing. They sh- they, yeah, they sh- you show up and he like lets two like, you know, sexy 55-year-olds in of, you know, behind you. Like, uh, you guys, you guys. Okay. <laughs> a lot Sorry. of young guys in untucked dress shirts. Yeah. And the nightclub is called uh, Pricks. <laughs> Not jabs, eh? But pricks. Pricks is no, a- pricks is apt for any any nightclub, really. Yeah, and then and then you go like, wait a minute, is <laughs> is this where you get the vaccine? And he goes, no. Like, oh, oh no, this is where we're this is where we're celebrating uh, or we're re- rebelling against the rules, man. Oh, okay. I was just going Great. gay bar, but okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but it seems that that's the thing. There's a restaurant uh, at some ski resort that just had its its license pulled because it had a uh, rebellion, like I had a, like that's what oh, I was yeah, listed yeah, as, yeah. like a COVID rebellion f- party, and so people <laughs> went there to like, you know, to like, that's right, loop it up, and it hasn't in affected big, me. In big white, yeah, and big white, which again, you know, you can't, you can't have a better name for that kind of privilege. <laughs> <laughs> that is some big white privilege to be, to be doing that. They got, they got uh, one here in Olympic Village as well. Uh, an Italian restaurant is also doing the indoor dining, and it's just like. Yeah. yeah, you know, because you got someone has to stand up for this. Like for what? For like, uh, you know, look, it's a virus. Mm-hmm. It spreads. It's not. You don't stand up to it. That's not how it goes. You know, and some of them are like really bad right now. I mean, they were always bad, but like some of them are like really bad. So like, is it worth it for like just get your past to go? Take it to go. Jeez. I've had people say to me, "Do you know anyone who's had coronavirus?" and because I haven't known anyone. I'm just wondering, like, is that, like, are you trying to tell me it's not real because you, you haven't personally been affected by it? Like, Yeah, you want to really go, to, like, you don't want to go down that rabbit hole with Is them. that the... But, but you want to sit down with them and go, so what do you think's going on? Yeah. And, and there are people that just legitimately think this is all about government control. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. have you ever met anyone that works for the government? <laughs> because, one, I do know people who have had coronavirus. Two, yeah. I know people who work for the government, and they're not super smart, and they're not getting together and going, "Here's what we're gonna do." And it's like, not at all. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to put together a flash mob, let alone like organize a government. You know, a bunch of people, different departments, all competing against each other to try and like coordinate some sort of like mass secret effort. Like, come on. Like, when is the government? I mean, obviously, you can say, uh, if I said to you, when is the government ever like? Con- like had a successful conspiracy. I suppose the person can wink and then tap the side of the nose. Like, you know, you think that, but you don't know. Cause what you can't prove a negative, of course. So that's a, that's a yeah, problem. They've done, but... some, they've done some shit. <laughs> they've done some bad things. Yes. But, but we know about it. That's why we're, this scale, yeah, like, yeah. we're going to fake up. We're going to fake a pandemic Yeah, and we're going to, we're going to get all the doctors in on it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like they've been, it's the hospitals. They're real people. You know, more than half a million dead in the states. Like, what the? Sh- it, it it does get to the point where you go, like, well, nothing would matter. Nothing would matter. They could see it happen in front of them, and like, mm, nope, nope, don't buy it. Nope, we're all in a simulation. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. Yeah. 
Throw your hands up. You know, what the... To be honest, this was the same person who was, was excited that the government was finally going to be able to have to open their UFO files, you know. You're like, uh-huh. I guess we're going to discover that pilots don't know atmospheric phenomena very well. I think that's what we'll mostly be learning from this, but okay. Well, yeah, someone could be flying a plane and not know atmospheric phenomena. Yes, someone can fly a plane and not know about atmospheric phenomena. That is a fact. I'm glad you stated that. Not in an ironic way, but let's just state it as a fact. Not everyone who flies a plane understands the effects of, of uh, you know, optical illusions that can occur with atmospheric effects. That can create, you know, images that you think are happening that aren't, so... You're not going to tell me that there really were gremlins on the wings of planes that pilots swore, swore they saw during World War II, are you? Well, this is the thing. If you had a room full of 100 people and you just... Do they all have typewriters? Do they all have typewriters? Yeah, they all have typewriters. Okay. Uh, sit them down. That just reminds me of something that I'll tell you about after. Um, uh, if you had a room full of people and you just went, okay, you got to answer honestly. Mm-hmm. How many people in this room legitimately, for real, believe in fairies? Raise your hand. <laughs> and you're, you're going to get a couple of hands go up. It's yeah, going to happen. It's true. It's true. You know, some people are going to believe in gremlins. Some people are going to believe in some weird yeah, yeah. shit. And so, unfortunately, when you get something that's serious like a, you know, a pandemic, it's just a couple of those people who are just like, how many people here think that the government's got, you know, a big global conspiracy uh, they're working on? They want to put microchips in your vaccines and control your brands. How many people here? And five. That's just enough to screw it up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. With 5%. the disease, you know, exponentially spreading disease. Yeah, that's all you need. You need you boobs. And yeah, I, don't, I mean, bless your hearts, all of you. But yeah, there's going to be some, there's going to be some odd beliefs that are there. And, and those are the people you're going to pay attention to. You're not going to pay attention to the people who are staying home yeah. doing the stuff they should because they're staying home. So, so they're not ugh, so, uh, so incredibly frustrating. But I, I am glad to hear you're going to try and get the, uh, the shot. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, like I say, I'll go there today and see what's what's what. Once again, I say to the news, um, hey, you want people to get shots? Don't show people getting shots. Don't show needles going into arms. <laughs> don't show people wincing. Well, don't do that. Well, you show know, I never, I never, the girls never had their polio shots, you know, because I've never known anyone who had polio. So I just thought, <laughs> why, why should they get this? Why should they get a smallpox vaccine? I personally have never met anyone who had smallpox. No. Ridiculous. No, that, that is a, that is all a fair point. Yep. You can unassailable logic, everyone. Here's what you do. You, you show people beforehand uh, and then you show people afterwards, after they got the shot. That's yeah. what you do. You yeah. go like, uh, so you're you're looking forward to getting the shot? Yeah, we've been lining up with this. And then afterwards, how do you feel? I feel great. I feel so good that I <laughs> got this done. And not and don't show them with their arm exposed, yeah. <laughs> shirt awkwardly up there, get, getting it in the arm. I know. Like, oh. Here you go. Yeah. You see, you're making my Caillou argument for me. Thank you. Yeah. How not, how not to get people to do things. Scare them and then convince them that it's not scary. Oh, huh. yeah. are you sure that works? Yeah, yeah. So, I was just uh, speaking of Caillou's Kai, really super quick. Yep. I was just watching a, a clip from uh, an old Andy Griffith show. Okay. And it was about uh, a kid who was, the, uh, who was a brat. Who's a brat. <laughs> and okay. so, you know, his way of like getting what he wanted was he'd hold his breath or he'd have a temper tantrum mm. or what have you. And uh, and then uh, at one point he's riding his bike, and and so Opie's learning from this. Ah, yeah. And then and then he's uh, rides his bike on the sidewalk, and Barney is, uh, hey, take your bike off the sidewalk. <laughs> and um and he doesn't, and he almost runs into Andy. So Andy takes his bike and says like, uh, we're gonna hold this for a week. 
Uh, and he's like, oh, my dad, I'll give you my gun. And, and, and they, you know, the dad comes and uh, and he's like, give him his bike back. And it's like, uh, no, this is the law. And, you know, I can I can't throw him in jail, but I'll throw, you know, you in jail. And, uh, and it's like, is that what you is that what you want? He says to the kid. You know, uh, your your dad in jail for your bike. I don't care. I just want my bike. And the dad realizes, ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, the kid's gone too far. And um, now he has. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and then Andy goes, you know, there's a woodshed out back. <gasps> it's like okay, and he drags the kid off for, for a beating. Like the kid, dad's taking, taking the kid for a big smackdown oh, back there. What a lesson. Yeah, there you go. And it was like, okay, fine. Huh. And it's a, you're just like, wait a second, Andy. That woodshed back there, is that for wood or is that for like sometimes maybe, I don't know, a criminal might not be confessing. And so the woodshed is back there. Yeah. Well, if, if, Oda, if Otis comes too often. Yeah. That's where he ends up. Yeah. I always, Oda, I always think the word woodshedding to refer to like practicing. That's why I first oh, heard I've it. Oh, I've never heard of that That's before. Yeah. Maybe it's a British expression. I remember like Eric Clapton saying... You know, like he thought he was a pretty hotshot guitar player when he came onto the British scene, and then he met someone who was like way better than him, and he said that made me go and woodshed for a while. And I was like, what does that even mean? But I, but I, you know, you get it from the context that uh, he's going to go into a private air place, you know, like say, you know, in the family house, you couldn't play your guitar in your room because you'd be bothering your parents. So he'd go outside to into the garden shed or wherever, and you'd sit out there practicing until you were until you were uh, better, and then you could come back and show off your skills. I guess that was the idea, like that woodshedding. That's a better way than taking somewhere outside to beat them. Yeah. I uh, Speaking of the typewriter thing, what that reminded me of was, are you watching uh, like um, uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon show? Are you watching that at all? Oh, how do you know I'm watching it right now? Was I kind of distracted sounding? Oh, was that right now? Here? <laughs> no, I have, I watched, uh, I watched an episode and part of another episode that I watched until I fell asleep. Okay. Well, the guy who's playing Captain America on there, I think his name is Wyatt Russell. He's yeah, he's the son of Kurt Russell and Gunnar Han, yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. And so um, I was watching an interview with him, and he was saying how the first audition he ever went to was for Captain America, but like the movie Captain America. Okay, yeah, yeah. And he did very badly at it, and he was, uh, you know. Uh, but but before he went, he talked to his uh, his parents yeah and just go i'm going to this audition you know so what are auditions like and both of them just went how do we know we haven't auditioned in decades <laughs> and yeah, Goldie Hawn was like yeah last time i was there they were all on typewriters <laughs> i don't know no clue <laughs> that's hilarious yeah it's like true of course of course they're both big stars they don't like go and audition for stuff of course. He, he's a big boy, that Wyatt Russell. Is he? Is he a large, uh, large fella? I mean, just like kind of like tall and, and big. Yeah, he used to play hockey up here, actually. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Was he the son who they who was a hockey player? Yeah, when, yeah. He's, when, they, when they lived in Vancouver. Yeah, that's right. They, they lived up here for a while, and he played in the juniors up here. Okay, all right. That makes sense. And then, uh, you know, he wasn't that one in the million player who gets to go on to professional leagues. So he went, went into that other thing where you have to be like a one in a million chance of success, but he's uh, really quite good. I really liked him in the Richard Linklater film. What something, what is it? What something about people wanting something? I can't remember the, the softball one that had, okay. that had the, the guy who was playing Superman on, on Clark and Lois right now. 
I guess he played Superman. Oh, okay. All right. He played Superman and Supergirl. Well, he was also Derek on Derek. I think his name was on Teen Wolf. That classic, okay. that classic show that celebrated Victorian sideburns and werewolves. And then, um, and then, yeah. So he was, he was really good. He was really, oh, that actor was really good in that thing as well because he was like a super like alpha male competitive jerk kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But one of those ones where like all their, it's hard to describe because you can have super competitive jerks who are just like awful people like to play with. Or you can have super competitive jerks that are like really good teammates and are really like behind you and back you, even though they're like would absolutely want to murder you if they were playing against you. You know what I mean? That's kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, they're just like just hyper competitive guys, but they're, you know, they're just an interesting uh, psychological thing, which is what that movie is basically about, that Richard Linklater film. It kind of, it kind of explores like, because they don't actually play sports in the movie. But oh, they're, really? Okay. They're like a baseball team. They do see them practice and you do see them haze the new players. On the feet, like in a, in a, in a, you know, in a during a practice, but you don't actually see them play a game. You just see them like going out to to nightclubs. You see them around, hanging around their home, like their their dorm they live in. You see the one kind of main character, uh, kind of starting a relationship up with a with a female student. But it's all based around the fact that they're athletes and they're all they're on a on a scholarship and they have this kind of that athlete's mentality. And but Wyatt Russell plays this kind of stoner character who is a pitcher and. And he's kind of like this uh, font of wisdom kind of guy. And he's really good in, in the role. Really good. Because I didn't like him as much in that third, is it third or fourth um, Cloverfield movie? The the World War II one? Oh, okay. Where I don't know if you saw that one. It was kind of like nope. a, it was, it, was, it was kind of a, it was very hard, it's hard to describe because the movie just was like, someone like took a bunch of like ideas and they put them into a shotgun and they shot that shot it at the wall and then they wrote the movie about what <laughs> where, where things landed it just felt like just like a scatter shot you know cool idea cool idea cool idea cool idea throw them all here and uh, but he played this really brutal character so i didn't like him he was good in the role because he was really off-putting <laughs> but i just didn't like him very much as a the character was so off-putting you're just like i don't like that actor either now we're talking we're talking about the guy who plays superman in the superman tv show no we're talking about um wyatt Russell. Wyatt, Wyatt. yeah. Yeah, Wyatt, yeah, Wyatt. He was also in that uh, Lodge 49 show that okay. I never quite got into. Never saw it. Now do you know what this thing That's okay. That's okay. okay. But yeah, he seems to be a, a working actor, which is, I always admire people who can, you know, find roles and just keep on working. Yeah. Never, he's, yeah, he's doing don't a good fuss job. it. Don't fuss whether you're a lead or just a secondary character. Yeah, it seems like he's going to have some nice scenery to chew mm-hmm. in this uh, Marvel thing, so uh, good on him on that. Uh, did we get into? I, I, it's I a little. Know. It's a little pro-military so far. That show. I don't know. Really? Yeah, I don't know. If, well, I've only seen an episode in a bit where they're just like. I've heard someone else say that, and I want uh, again without too many speedy spoilers. Um, what do you, What do you think is pro-military about it? What I think is pro-military about it. Well, the yeah. fact that the Avengers or this Captain America is just sort of an arm of the armed forces, you know. So. I assume he's under their command and has to do what they say. So if he, they said, but he seems like he's going to be the villain, right? Like he seems like he's going to be a jerk. Well, that's how he seems. I I mean, but I've only seen like the first, he seems like a friendly guy so far. So I don't know what, if you say so, I have not seen as far as you have, you maybe watched the third episode. I don't know. Yeah. I've watched the third episode. I haven't got that. I haven't got that far yet. So I haven't, uh, but you know, there's a bit of, there's that thing in the, uh, in the, in the second episode or the one you've seen, I think, where they meet somebody who was treated very badly by the government, very, very badly by the by the American government, and and in a way that reflects on how people like him were treated by the American government for real. 
And so it was like, mm, that, that's, that's the thing that kind of kicks the legs out of pro-military pro, uh, for me. Also, because it feels like there's no way this new Captain America is going to be a guy that you're going to go, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. No, I hope he keeps going <laughs> with the Captain America shield. Like, he's clearly got to be the, you know, take a dark turn at some point. Okay, and okay. I don't know. I, you, you, you might be right. I don't know. I, don't I, know. I can't see any other way that plot will go. Yeah. You know, like I don't see Wyatt Russell uh, playing the character into the movies or anything. But there is a do you know who I'm talking about, though, the other character or are you not that far into the episode? Are you referring to a past war and people's bad behavior during that war? I am talking about how someone was treated. Yes. And then incarcerated and so on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was to to be I mean, a. To be fair to my argument, that wasn't really like a military thing. That was a government thing. That was that was a greedy people thing who uh, took advantage of. Oh, it feels uh, like a situation it's to. They were looking for a soldier. They he he was a soldier. Oh, then, okay. Maybe I haven't seen that part. Then okay, I don't want. Yeah, I don't want it's, it's bad. Okay. So and just in general too, if you're if you're coming off of the movies, you know these are people who have you know. Uh, Fal- Falcon was in jail for for a period of time there, and on the run from the American, you know, government military. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, so they, the the government was uh, not good <laughs> to uh, anyone, and and then only because they rebelled against them were they able to save the universe. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. You know, I say I, I know it was really glamorous the very first uh, thing where they're uh, doing their military top gunning this stuff. I can see how that's like, oh, that's pretty glam. Yeah, yeah. But then I think we're going to get into more stuff about how governments work. And just in, yeah, in the episode you're watching, there's a character that gets, that gets introduced that I think completely throws a wrench into that whole, hey, you know, the military is pretty all. Ooh, sure. we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see how edgy the Disney Corporation gets. I do, I wanna, mm-hmm. We know that they're real. <laughs> Real radicals, so we'll see. We'll see what they they put down. But yeah, it's, it'll be. I mean, it seems fine. I like the characters. The uh, character of I'm not actually a huge Falcon fan. Like the character, I think is uh, okay, but I actually like him quite a bit in the show. So I'm I'm glad they're. I think his character is sort of under a little undercooked in the in the uh, movies. So it feels like he's going full Will Smith. <laughs> Good for him. Like it's he's very uh, a Will Smith from Independence Day to me. Okay. Like I, I, okay. I, I, he's like an inch away from just like punching an alien and going "Welcome to Earth." Like he's just that close <laughs> to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I once again, con- I've just seen a bit. Of, I've just seen a bit of the. I've, I've seen the first one. A bit of the shrimp boat. I'm just concerned about the shrimp boat <laughs> and how that's a problem. Yeah. Like, well, I'm wondering when uh, when when uh, Forrest, Forrest Gump is going to show up. Yeah, it's very very Forrest Gumpy. I'm, I'm hearing someone on the steps. I'm going to look at my computer okay, screen right now sure, sure. and see if uh, see if someone's sending me a little picture of a bag on my on my stoop. Mm, mm. It's so it's so exciting. A stoop uh-huh. a stooped bag. A stoop bag. Oh man, there's nothing more exciting than a stoop bag. Did we did we get into? La- uh, I I don't want to repeat the same dumb trivia, but you mentioned uh, Tyler uh, Hoechlin, the guy from. Uh, Lois and Clark, or not, it's not Lois and Clark, but it, Superman and Lois. Is that what that, it's called? I, I couldn't remember the time. I, yeah, Superman I watched, and Lois. watched one episode of it and I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Yeah, was I'm, okay. I'm, I'm liking it more. Okay. Um, but uh, did we mention the trivia of what other DC movie he was in? Tyler Hoechlin. Was it yes. another DC movie? 
where he was in another DC movie, not a superhero movie, but a DC movie, a, a movie based on a DC graphic novel. Really? And I will throw in a big hint. Oh, yeah. So, so it was it directed by uh, the same person who's been directing the other DC superhero movies? Oh, it's not a superhero movie at all. No, no, I know. But was it directed by... Oh, no, it's not... Oh, no. so so, uh, so V for Vendetta is the only one I can think of that... Uh, but I guess it's not really a DC movie. Uh, no, I'll tell you the director, Sam okay. Mendes. Oh, so uh, that one about the road... You're, you're on the with, way, yeah. Tom Hanks in it. The road to... Redemption. Perdition. Perdition. Oh, shoot. That's no, right. That's Sorry. I couldn't remember... That's right. That was from a graphic novel. I keep. I always forget that. Max Max yeah, Collins, right? Max Owen Collins. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. With a bit of a cast, like he was the kid in it, oh, uh, and wow. uh, Paul Newman's in it. Jude Law, Daniel Craig, Stanley Tucci, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty loaded for bear that film, I, and I've never seen it. I re- I remember liking it. I mean, it's been a while since I watched it, but I remember watching it at David uh, David M's place and uh, and thinking it was pretty good. But it's been a Could while. You, it's one of those movies that if you uh, and again I've 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 brought it up without seeing it, but it's mm. one of those when people will say things like, "Oh, all comic book movies are the same." Oh, are they? Well, how about <laughs> tradition and ghost world? Have you seen that? Have you seen Persepolis? Oh, well, how about that? That's not that's a comic book movie, and then you know, just like, well, this guy's this guy's a little defensive. That's that's quite I'm defensive. You're I'm defensive. defensive. <laughs> Why is everyone so defensive? <laughs> Because I know when you were talking about comic book movies, you didn't mean superheroes. You meant more obscure. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a genre. It's a medium. <laughs> okay, calm down. Calm the hell down. American Splendor was also a comic book movie. All right, get it. Settle, settle down. Uh, I'm gonna go get my groceries right now. Okay, so, I will. Uh, you can either take a short break or you can talk to the nice people. I'll be right back. Oh boy, that that's unfair. Hey Dave, here. yes, hello. Number for them. Sing them a song. <laughs> okay, I will do a I'll sing T for two. Excellent. Okay, bye. Or I'll just go to intermission music like this. Oh, the intermission music isn't working. Darn it. Well, I guess I'll just have to sit here and uh, talk for a little bit. Oh, this is making me uncomfortable. Boy, oh boy. Sure. Hey, um, hey everyone. I want to let you know that in about is it thirteen episodes from now? It's our five hundredth episode. And uh, just so you know, I got a little letter the other day from a listener. I don't want to say whom yet because I want I want to talk about it in the show. But a little gift came in the mail for our five hundredth episode. So I just want to let you know that time is coming up, and if you want to send us something or write in with some memories or something that you like about Sneaky Dragon, something that we could talk about on our 500th episode, we would really appreciate it. So uh, maybe before we even, we'll just sneak this in while Ian's away, but you know, you can write to us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That's your email address. If you go to the website and go to the contact us page, you will find our snail mail address there. And if you want to send in a heartfelt letter or or a drawing or whatever, you don't have to. But if you feel like it, that's an opportunity to do so. And uh, like I say, if you want to send us like, I don't want to call it a tribute, but just something like a memory or whatever, just something that's important to you about Sneaky Dragon that you'd like us to say on the show, uh, this I think the 500th episode is a great opportunity to do that. And Ian and I 
are planning to do kind of a small scale one, hopefully he'll have the vaccine by that point, and we can be together in a room and we can we can both be po- pouring over your your uh, missives and things. So, so yeah. I thought we'd just take that opportunity. So we got one so far. So let's keep it rolling in, folks, because um, 500 episodes, that's something incredible. This proves to you that if you do something every week, eventually you will have 500 of them. That is the lesson that we get from this. All right. Let's welcome back Ian right now. I guess he's not coming back. Okay, so before Ian comes back, let me just say that you can contact us not only on the website, uh, www.sneakydragon.com. That's the website. You can uh, find us on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon. We have a Facebook page, which is called Sneaky Dragon. We have a Patreon page, which is called Sneaky Dragon. And those are other ways that you can uh, contact us with your kind thoughts for our 500th episode. And we will definitely, during the show, have some sort of moment uh, to let you sneakers have a voice, as usual. Not just a kind of a question of the week thing, but just a little bit of a twist on that. So, So please feel free, and we would really appreciate it if you did contact us. Come on. All right. Now let's welcome Ian back now. All right, apparently Ian's been carried away by crows, uh, so I may, be in, I may just be me uh, doing the show by myself. Uh, huh. Everyone, I had a really embarrassing thing that I had to do the other day. Ian wrote to me and he said, the Van Calf website needs a picture of you. Can you send me a picture? And what's embarrassing, not that I didn't need a picture, but that I had to then go through and look at pictures of myself. Oh, for the last little while, and I'm not a great picture taker, which is a terrible thing, because... He, you know what? Take as many pictures as you can of yourself right now, because in 10 years, you'll look back at it and go, I look great. Why why didn't I like pictures taken of myself back then? So, but anyway, I still have trouble, even though I know that's like, that's the the, uh, proper like context that we should have pictures taken. I still have trouble doing pictures and having pictures taken of myself. Like I could, I could post some pictures now of me with like the worst fake smile you've ever seen in your life. The worst. And so eventually, uh, I convinced Eve, my daughter Eve, to come out, and she took a uh, took a, you know, I mean, it was a great picture. I think it's okay because I'm in it, but it's a it's a good picture of me sitting uh, kind of with all my books and stuff behind me, uh, kind of leaning on my desk. Uh, it's kind of a tricky shot because we had to cut out like all of the the shop clutter, like all of the tools and and things piled up on each on top of each other. They're like just off camera, but just ignore that. Oh. Ian, are you back? Oh my goodness, oh. you were. I was afraid you were carried away by crows. So, mm-hmm. oh, this is good news. Phew. Crows, I wish. Thought I was going to have to do the whole there. show by myself. Oh man. So, did you sing a sing a number for the nice people? I sang oh. so many numbers, so okay. many numbers. You wouldn't believe it. Remember, if you want Dave to sing a song on the uh, on the air, just uh, let us know which song you want him to sing. I sang, and he'll sing any one. I sang three as the uh, three as a magic number. I sang figure eight. I sang a uh, little 12 toes. So many numbers. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I got to review this nice person as well because uh, they did a nice job. Oh, that's and good. I, so you're gonna, yeah, you got to. But you know what? You're going to do a review. Remember to give them a low mark so they'll try harder. Yeah, that's the thing. You got to encourage. Them. Yeah, you don't want to just. Don't t- tell them they did a good job. They're just going to rest on their laurels, and that's not Yeah, good. you got to take them to the woodshed. <laughs> Take much of the woodshed via your reviews. That's exactly yeah, what I do. When, again, when I watched that episode, I thought like, well, and this is where a serial killer comes from. 
Yeah. Also, why do you have a woodshed in the back of the uh, the old police station? Anyway. Well, it's an old-timey police station. You know what? They would have had a wood stove to heat it in the past, so they would have needed a woodshed to store the wood, and there you go. And it's just open for people to go in and smack around the kids. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Well, who's? I guess I guess if you're worried about people stealing wood, but as far as I remember from the, the topography of that show opening, there's a lot of trees around. Yeah, and also you're not going to steal it from the police station. Unless you're a sociopath. Who, who would who would suspect you? <clears throat> True. Yeah. They'd be like, people stole wood from a police station? Who? What insane person would do that? No, that's not wrong. I, I'm just going to push my cough switch for a second. <clears throat> oh, I forgot to. Anyway. Okay. Uh, now I'm resetting uh, my, my menu for tonight. There you go. I'm still on that uh, recipe club thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Cool. Uh, I just got the ingredients today. For uh, this week's three three things I'm making this week. Okay. Um, Italian sausage and bean stew. Okay. Gonna make that. Yep. Uh, then tomorrow, honey mustard chicken and uh, root vegetable casserole. Oh, the week's over and, then. And then no, no. And then the next day, yep. one pot pasta alla norma. What does that mean? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know either. Alla norma. So Norma invented this new way of doing pot pasta. No clue. All I, like I know it. is I, like I, I will learn something each time. Which is the uh, which is the goal? Yeah, it's uh, oh, I see. It's made with macaroni, tomatoes, fried eggplants, uh, and uh, looks like uh, ricotta okay. as well. And basil. Okay. Oh, that looks pretty good. I'm in. Is it a layered one, kind of like a lasagna? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I, I guess I'll see as it goes. It looks like no. It looks kind of all mixed together. It's a mix. It's a more of a casserole. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, little one pot uh, deal. Question for you. Yeah, sure, please. I'm because you may have revealed something about yourself. Mm-hmm. Are you a person who ends the week on Saturday, or are you a person who ends the week on a Sunday? I end the week on usually Thursday. That's when your weekends. That's when, when your I week? do. Yeah, when I do. Well, I, there is no really end to my week. No, no. I, I just mean say, like. I just mean like. If you were like, if you were saying a week, a week of seven days, starting Sunday to Saturday, or would you say from Monday to Sunday? Oh, I go Monday to Sunday for sure. Ah, oh, so you're wrong. I see. Okay. No, 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 no. I know, ca- I know, uh, calendars <laughs> like to be uh, dumb, but uh, no, that's general. You, week is. you said general consensus is wrong. I'm going to start the week because that's when the work week begins. I can see that uh, as a, I can see that as yeah. an option. I mean, I take it from back, you know, school days. You know, mm-hmm. once the start of the week, mm-hmm. it's not Sunday. You yeah. don't go like yeah. Sunday. Ah, a new week begins. <laughs> like, no, you think that you're still in the weekend. You're deep in a weekend. Yeah, yeah. Right. So what, I mean, no, do I don't. Do? I, I I'm a Sunday to Saturday person. But then I had to train myself because you're right. Having gone through school, you are you think you think in terms of of the week beginning on Monday because that's when that's when your your week of drudgery begins. And you're just like, ah, oh, Monday. Am I right, Garfield? And he's like, aces. And he puts his his not thumb up. And then you're like, oh, you have a weird thumb. And then for me, oh sorry, I was gonna say. So uh, that's how I always associated as well. And then I learned. Uh, I can't remember when I learned this, that Sunday was the, considered the actual beginning of the weekend. So I went, ah, okay, well, I guess I better get used to that concept. <laughs> I, I just roll over to general consensus and like you. See, during the, during like the, during like the Nazi witch hunts of the, like the Jews and stuff like that, I just would have been another guy with a torch chasing after Jews. I have to admit it. Just, I'm completely wow. Uh, social. Wow. Animal. That took a real big turn. <laughs> remember when we were talking about what day we think the week begins? <laughs> 
now you're a Nazi. <laughs> just that's just confessing, okay. confessing my not sins. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. So, I don't know how do we. I'm just drawing. I'm that. just drawing a comparison. I'm just saying, if you are as you know much of a sucker as I you am, and just choice, follow general consensus, the the axis, it's not I that. Long. The axis. <laughs> You know, you know it's, what you remind me of. It's just a straight it's a, line. It's a straight line, Ian. You're my. You remind me right now here, mm-hmm. uh, and again, it's again, it's another person I love. It was my uh, my grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Just at one point, just casually over dinner, just went. You know, well, I always thought fascism was a good idea, and then Hitler invaded, and then no, <laughs> it's like that was the end of that. I was like, oh, okay, but that was well, that's, that's true. There was a British Nazi party run run by Oswald Mosley. Well, let's not say that my grandfather was a Nazi. Let's just say <laughs> no, that my no. I'm not saying. I didn't say. Na- sorry, I didn't mean. I didn't mean Nazi party. I meant there was a British fascist party, which is different than the Nazi party. Like Nazis, Nazis were fascists, yeah. but the British fascists weren't connected necessarily to Nazis. They were just they're their own kind of bully organization. Yeah, but yes. But he thought. Yeah, he, it was just. A, it was just a thing he brought up at dinner once. Just like I always thought, fascism was a good idea. On the other and, hand, you know, they were very friendly with Ribbentrop, Trope, who had come to visit Britain a lot, and uh, who is an ambassador for German ambassador uh, von Ribbentrop. So you know, it's uh, yeah, yes, yeah. it's all all rather unsavory. And then here's the other thing that's always weird to me is that uh, my grandfather looks like Hitler, like facially, really looks like Hitler. Oh, doesn't really? Have the mustache <laughs> doesn't have the, the yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not his. That's not his deal. But like. When I look at a picture of, of, of Hitler, mm-hmm. this is all great, isn't it, that we're doing? Uh, when I look at a picture of Hitler, <laughs> he looks like my grandfather. So there's a bit of me that goes, aw. And like, I, of course I shouldn't go aw, but he looks like my grandfather, who I love. So I'm not saying I'm a Nazi either. We're just <laughs> we'll say. I was just uh, making, I was making a kind of extreme uh, joke, obviously, about my bending over to social societal norms. Um, there you go. You know, I was just, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where I would end up in those situations. I have, I have stood up against societal norms in the past. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm underselling myself. You know, I'm kind of proud of, of some of my moments of standing up for the underdog. So maybe, maybe I should, uh, maybe I shouldn't be so quick to condemn myself. Nice. Yeah, let's go. With, let's go with that. Uh, let me let me tangent off a second with like. However, the week you, still begins on Sunday. Anyway, go on. Do your do your parents yeah. resemble any famous people? Well, you know, my I wonder if you could uh, kind of tie my dad to Dick Van Dyke in a way. They're okay, I'll give kind, you that. Kind of yeah. long, long faced. Yeah. Um, you know, get, you know, thin guys. You know, my dad was dad's a singer. You know, uh, sure he could do like a acceptable soft shoes shuffle when he was younger. I was going to ask, if he if he's in a barbershop quartet, he yeah. knows how to do a little tap. <laughs> I don't think that they're the same, but I think they mostly stand there slightly bent over trying to listen to each other sing so they stay in harmony. But no, I don't mm-hmm. think they do much in the way of soft shoe, but I don't think that was beyond him. I do remember he had a recording of a... He was very proud of this event that he... I think he wrote it and he put it, staged it, and it was like... Some kind of a, oh, I can't even remember what it was exactly, but it was to do with grocery sales. And it was like a review and it was songs and stuff like that that were about, you know, selling to grocery stores because that's what he did for a living. So I, right. I, I've i only heard it when I was a kid and I, so I don't remember it now, but it was a lot of stuff like, you know, 
the slate echo, you know, someone going like, hey, Fred, if you want to sell to stores, you got to learn to have some, you know, and they go to song, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And like, he had to set like a, a reel-to-reel recording of it that I guess was done when when they performed it. And so he was pretty proud of it. And so he had it. And I don't know, I think he played it for me once and I probably listened politely for a while as a kid and then said, Dad, I really got to do some homework, you know, because you know how much I love school and how much I do my homework all the time. Better go finish that homework. And uh, yeah, but you know, he was pretty proud just, of it. So I guess take, take I'm sure to he... the woodshed, Dad. Just take me to the woodshed. <laughs> to the pool shed. We had a pool shed in the back. I'll take a, I'll take a beating over this. <laughs> uh, well, our, I, I our, just, like, our he... family beatings were done in public. We did not hide them in a shed. Well, there you go. That's nice. Um, Be honest. Well, well, so he's he's in a barbershop quartet, or is he currently in a barbershop quartet? He is not in a barbershop quartet anymore. He, okay. But he, he sings in a chorus now, a male chorus. Very, very because good. they okay. sing more more varieties of songs. He got tired of the limited repertoire of, of uh, barbershop. Well, doesn't like an old mill stream. Fair enough. That's right. He's or, tired of that old, old mill stream. Father's clock. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, he hates sweet Adeline. He was in our Mary Osmobile. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have I done this? Yes, maybe I have. I've experimented with barbershop. Um, <laughs> but like, when did he start singing? Was oh, he like, singing? And, and my and, and my Nazi uh, my Nazi <laughs> confession was shocking. My goodness. So anyway, go on. I've done I've done this. I've done that. The song about uh, bums. <laughs> And by that I mean hobos. Okay, because the other, because the other, the, the higher part of the song was hobo, 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 hobo. Oh, I like a hobo. I like a bum. I like a hobo. I like a bum. Hobo, um, hobo. But where I'm thinking is like, if he must have started singing younger, that's not something you come into older. And if you started singing younger, oh, yeah. you probably probably saw a couple of dance moves and went like. I better learn that. <laughs> I t- Just know. figure that one out. You know what a, the equivalent of flossing was back then. He would have uh, he would have picked up on it and been able to do like just a little, a couple of a couple of things. You know, a couple of a couple of moves. As unbelievable as it seems to me now, it was a common thing for my dad and his brothers and sisters, and well, and his mom and dad, to gather around the family Joanna and uh, have a have a fun sing along. Oh, nice! Uh, my grandfather tickled the ivories. And that was something that went on when I was a kid as well. We would gather around the piano in the basement of my grandparents' house, and my grandfather would would play us songs, which Jason and I have referenced before and have sung. Of course, his famous song he wrote for my dad and his brothers and sisters high school, Burnaby North, was it? I can't remember anymore. Burnaby South, one of those, when some some high school in Burnaby, he wrote a song for. Don't ask me to sing it because I uh, I can remember most of it, but I always forget a key part of it because I, lyrics do not stick in my head. Okay. Jason, however, if he's up when he's on the show again, I was going to say if he ever when he's on the show again, he will be on the show. Again. <laughs> if he's ever on the when show. he's on the show again. Well, I don't think he's going to want to come on after that old nasty. <laughs> well, no, I think when you when you said you were saying in barbershop, that's what's really going to set him off. Okay. He'll never be on again. Be like I, I know a... Ian said he was saying in barbershop, but please come on the show. Yeah, I uh, I did a, a a vaudeville show at the Heritage. Whatever, whatever the Heritage Village in Burnaby. Okay. And so part of that was, you know, singing, and then you'd step yeah. out and you'd tell a corny joke. Sure. And then everyone would go, oh, brother. And then back you'd go, <laughs> and then back to my grandfather's clock was too big for the show. <laughs> and how did the Black and White Minstrel show go over as part of the? <laughs> yeah, we did not, it did not go to that. 
I'm now thinking, by the way, the grandfather's clock song. Yeah. Are you familiar with the grandfather's clock song? Only from your singing it. Okay. Uh, I, I, up until right now, I always pictured it as a grandfather clock. But it's not. It's, it's not. my grandfather's <laughs> clock. Yes, I know. And it was too big for the shell. Yes. Well, so it had to that's, all, that's a good description of a grandfather clock, though. It is obviously too big for so a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> it is too big for a shelf. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Okay. Very good. <laughs> we, um, have, we have two old-fashioned clocks in our house, which I used to I used to maintain. I used to wind them all the time, both of them. But after a while, I stopped because it was really just too, it was just too much. It was too much having two different chiming clocks chiming away on the hour. I'll put that in quotation marks because those clocks are impossible to keep regulated you have to constantly be moving them backwards and forwards and in their time to try and keep them on actual human time i don't know how people in the past did it they must have just been they just must have been like this sort of like there was no actual time but people just like (laughs) yeah they're like their their lives just like moved forward minutes at a time they just didn't realize it that they were like Okay, or, you know, I don't even know what they did. What did they do? Like, was there some sort of like national clock day where everyone had to like reset? Their, I know, I, I know there's time changes, but I just mean like one day where a week where people are like, okay, it's actually seven o'clock right <laughs> now. Okay, so that's what the time thing was for on the radio. Here's what I, I picture probably. I always case. wondered. Is uh, that okay? Well, here's what I think is the case. Okay, is that each of those towns had a church? Yeah, and at some point they would ring the bell. Yeah, and they go like, well, now it's. Oh, noon. noon. <laughs> so now you can set it to noon, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going with, you know, this God says it's noon. <laughs> what am I going to yeah, do? Yeah. Well, I mean, just the loudest bell in the, in the, the loudest bell in the area tells us what time it is. Yeah, social consensus. They're all just like me. They're already... <laughs> Now, when you were mentioning songs that were... But no, I was just going to say, sorry, just before... Okay. The, do you, I don't know if you listen to CBC like I used to do all the time, which is before the news, like at six o'clock or noon, they would have a time check. Oh. They had the, be like the international, sta- you know, standards clock, according to, you know, according to it, the time is now six. And then it would be like, beep. And I guess if you had like a bunch of dumb clocks like I did, you're supposed to be standing at the ready and you, you adjusted them forward or backwards to get them on the actual time synchronize your watches because yeah it's just impossible like you can adjust them like there's like a little micro adjustments you can do to the pendulum and stuff like that but it it never works just leave it alone forget about it just you know just you know nowadays I guess just turn your, your open your phone up and just adjust them but then you still have to sit there well like the one goes through all of like the i know it's not called big ben the tower clock <laughs> outside of the parliament buildings thank you that uh you know, it goes through that entire, you know, ding, 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 like for like a minute while you're trying to watch television. You just, you're like, oh, this is, thank you, clock for, thanks, a, yeah, okay, <sighs> you still got more to do. All right, clock, thank, bong, bong, ding. The murderer is ding, dong, boom, bing. Yeah, it's the person who won't leave the party. Do, 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 we'll do. Look at the time. Well, it was great to have you here. Dong. Okay, it's fantastic. And off you go. Bong. I don't want to keep you because I know you're bang. Oh, early morning. Gong. Okay, fine. And then the lights go off, and yeah, you're right. There's a murder. Do you know what time the murder happened? Yes. Well, yes, va- I do. vaguely, it's within five minutes of. Yeah, it's when I killed boom, them because I was boom, so crazy boom, from the clock. Boom, boom, uh, boom, boom, boom. I just want to make a mild correction to something you've said many times on this show. Okay, please. There's nothing I like better. Yeah. I wait with uh, my arms crossed. 
So mm-hmm. uh, you you have whenever we uh, discuss um, barbershop quartets, yeah, or that kind of thing, yeah, uh, you will often refer to a song called Minnie the Mermaid. Yes, right. You will sing then a lyric from Minnie the Mermaid, which you have sung on this show. I fell I in love. Two, wait for it, yeah. uh, at least two dozen times. <laughs> More than that, I'm sure. Okay, and could you please could you please just tell me that lyric right now? Sure, I'll get I'll get the music playing first. I fell in love with Minnie the Mermaid down at the bottom of the sea. Bum bum bum. That's all I can remember now. Yeah, that's not the lyric. So anyway, that is in no way the lyric. I I looked up the lyric. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, I wonder what the, the whole song is. That's, that's neat. Uh, and, <laughs> okay, and so, tell me. Tell me what my childhood memory tells me. Well, first of all, yeah. you, one of the... There's a couple of now, remember, movies. I heard this song sung by amateur musicians who are performing it in a basement, well inebriated on Boxing Day. So, uh, you know, they had their own interpretation of it, sir. It's called jazz. But anyway, go on. Mm. Okay, well, they they were wrong. So... <laughs> Um, yes. well, uh, listen, the, the, the big version of, of this, I would big say there's version, a couple okay. of people sure, sure. that okay. did it, yeah. but one of the most famous versions of it was done by Phil Harris. Okay. Yeah. B- Jack Benny's, uh, Jack Benny's Baloo band leader. Baloo the bear. Who's Jack Benny's band leader. Oh, I'm sorry. He's not Baloo. He's also Baloo. Okay. Well, that's. But I know him better as Jack Benny's band leader. All right. Fair enough. But he's you also said Baloo. you, you might, um, you meant me, right? Personally, me. Okay, fair enough. I would think that you would know him from uh, various Disney things. Yeah, yeah, he's. Disney. I think he's also a little little John or whatever in. Uh, That's correct. Jungle Book. And uh, oh, no, Jungle Book, sorry, the Robin Hood. <laughs> and they and they just retrace the Baloo. Yeah. Uh, stuff. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> hey, they were so, building Disney World. They didn't have money for for animated cartoons. Okay, well, here's here's the whole song is not is not too. You know the, the the first the first round yeah. of everything is the uh, the or night the or the other night but er yeah, yeah. that night I sure. dreamed that I was down at the bottom of the sea sure sure I met a mermaid fair who had a cottage there her name was Minnie and she tumbled for me yeah so she you know that's kind of, had, that's sort of the intro to the song right so this is this is kind of intoned over music that's being played. that's correct she had the tail of a fish for a train okay but just the same. She could sure entertain. Mm. Once again, we're really getting kind of hot here. Here's <laughs> the lyric. Can take off my jacket. You're, you're misquoting. Yeah. Oh, what a time I had with Minnie the Mermaid. Okay. Down at the bottom of the sea. That was right. No. Down, down at the bottom of the sea. No, you said oh, I fell in love with Minnie the Mermaid. Yeah, down at the bottom of yeah, the sea. I got oh, down at the bottom of the sea. Right. You're right. Yeah. Okay, you go got. On. Uh, you got. Let's see. Forty percent of that. Right. <laughs> okay. Go on. I oh. forgot my troubles there among the bubbles. Nice. Gee, but she was awfully good to me. Okay. So I'm assuming she was blowing bubbles, and his name was Bubbles. Uh, and every night when the starfish came out, <laughs> I'd hug and kiss her so. Yeah. Oh, what a time I had with Minnie the Mermaid down in her seaweed bungalow. <laughs> so seaweed bungalow, of course, is slang for, you know what I'm saying. Um, and that's the, that's the thing. all the lyrics to Minnie the Mermaid. Classic mermaid saying, does the carpet match the seaweed? Yeah, uh, listen, I'm not saying you should play this Phil Harris version on your other podcast. <laughs> yes, please. But I'm saying you should. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, when I've performed that song in the past on the show, I am performing it, obviously, times. from my memory of it as a child. At least two dozen times, yes. And, <laughs> not more. And uh, But what, the real thing to me that I love about that song is that 
the song Bartender's Daughter, which I pro- also probably am misquoting, is the exact same song. And I just love the fact that it's the same. Like when we were kids, we were like singing along to these songs and they were just the same songs. I just love, I just, I always find that amusing. So, because oh. it's like, bum, 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 bum. I fell in love with a bartender's daughter. It's like that. No, wait. Who, who, no, no, it's I'll be, sorry. I'll be the son of a bartender's daughter. Someone has stolen my beer. Bump, bump. I was here around the table, but I wasn't able to see if any beer was here. So it goes something like that. I'm obviously oh, just making up those sweet. lyrics because I don't know them. But yeah, oh, when we were nice. when we were kids, my, my grandpa would take us, we well, not take us downstairs, like it was a punishment. We would go downstairs with our grandpa <laughs> and he would... The woodshed. Yeah. Yeah, down to the woodshed. And in the basement was the magical place because it had a the piano, which you could either go down by yourself and tootle on as a kid when your parents were upstairs talking with sure. with their parents, and you could be tootling away on the piano and making like random chords and stuff like that, and that was a lot of fun. Or your grandfather would come downstairs with you, and he would play music for you and sing songs in a slightly uh, wispy voice because he was old, and then. The other magical thing which I've talked about was this bag of acorns that he kept in the basement, which he would crack open for us and give us acorns to eat. So that was also very good. So that was, Aww. those were things I remember about, and also had, they also had the shuffleboard uh, court in the basement as well. So you could get out the shuffleboard uh, pieces and play, play when your parents were, once again, upstairs doing boring parent things with their parents, yeah, i.e. talking. And you could go yeah, down as yeah. kids, and if it was raining outside, and you can go outside and play and and goof around and climb all over the the brick barbecue my grandfather built grandfather built out in the backyard, then you could uh, be in the basement and play shuffleboard, which he also put together in his own basement, being a handy a handy gentleman. I think I told you this once. It was like a, it was the boyfriend my mother had uh, before this jerk that she's with now, um, and. Uh, <laughs> yes. He was a uh, he was he was okay. This other guy, but mm-hmm. he was okay. Yeah, sure. Um, but but it was one it was one situation where uh, we're over at my mom's place and we got a piano in the basement mm-hmm. and and there was a bunch of his family that were like young people, you know, teens and whatnot. Yeah. Like, uh, so they were there and they were all hanging up. So it was for some holiday thing. Sure. And they didn't really want to be there, but they had to be there, and so we're all making some conversation. We're getting along okay. Yeah. And then. Uh, at one point, he both, says, both families, right. both families resenting the 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 uh, their their parents yeah, for being involved in this uh, this uh, relationship. Trist. Yeah. <laughs> um. So like 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 a common mermaid. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so so, but we're getting along okay, and yeah. it's like, oh, this is not this is not bad. And then at one point, he stands up and goes, "Okay, that's enough of that. Adults want to talk. Get to the basement." I'm like what? <laughs> so he sh- he shoes them shoes them into the basement. Huh. I'm like, oh my god! Well, that's rude. One <laughs> and then two, it's like I guess there's something serious he wants to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so like, all right, well, here, sorry. And I'm giving the shoulder shrug of like, sorry, sorry to be an adult. I guess I'm gonna be part of this conversation. And then uh, they go downstairs, and you think like, oh, here comes a conversation, and like he's got nothing to say. Like, what the fuck was that? Why just shoot them down to <laughs> the basement? Nothing to say. And then all of a sudden, you hear, you hear this, you know. And it's like they start playing the piano, and they're all singing together. And they're singing these beautiful songs. And it's like, oh, man, I wish I was down there. That sounds great. And then, like, at one point, he's like, oh, rolls his eyes and just goes, keep it down down there. And I'm like, what do you mean, keep it down? They're singing beautiful songs. What's wrong with you? 
you. And it's like he was like complaining about the oh, teenagers, huh? Always singing beautiful songs together. I'm just like, oh my god, what's oh jeez. I just wanted to just go down and just like I'm not with them. I am in no way with them. Why didn't you? I think I actually did. That's to be a, that's my that's my that's my that's my game plan at all at all. Uh, I did go down with some compliments. Events. Yeah, I went down with some compliments a little bit later on. I couldn't immediately go ignore that idiot. You know, <laughs> couldn't do that. Um, it doesn't. Yeah, it it doesn't like, matter what event is occurring. You will find me with with the younger people, and not that they're happy that I'm there, but that's where I am. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, Nark." I'm like, ah, "That's fine. <laughs> that's, don't worry. You got that right." And I'll go, "Hey, you know, Nark was the name of a video game when I was a young person. You ever <laughs> played Nark? Yeah, it's, a, it's a guys who are drug dealers, and you you murder them." A lot of them, you just shoot them. You just shoot them with a shotgun. You just murder them. And you're the good guy. That's right. That's what I say. I say, hey, you don't, you don't want me uh, thinking on you? Don't do anything wrong. <laughs> Pretty simple. Yeah, you got nothing to hide. You got nothing no, to fear. I just find, I don't know, I just find adult conversation dull. <laughs> like, you know, like people, not not my group of adults. Of course, we're, we're thrilling. But I just find like people... That are just kind of, I don't want to call them normal, but you know, like just people just having the regular conversations people have, you know, like, I just, I get so bored. Like, I just can't stand it. So then like, I, I often go and visit my brother and sister-in-law at their cabin and they'll have friends over from the community of cabins that are there and they'll like sit around a bonfire drinking beer and talking. And Mm -hmm. it is like so boring. Oh my God. (laughs) But I just have to sit there because you want to be polite and I don't actually like bonfires that much. I thought, you know, I just like the next day, all your clothes all smell and you don't bring, you know, you only bring like one jacket with you. So then the rest of your trip, your jacket like smells like a bonfire, which I don't, I don't like the smell of fire very much. So I know some people love it. They love it more than the smell of, you know, rain on dry pavement, blah. But to me, it's just not a pleasant smell. You know, it just, it just smells like something burnt. Like, it's not, a great, not a great smell. You hate fire and you hate rain. <laughs> I do. You hate sunny days. I you do. Well, I hate, I hate sunny days with rain. You're right. You got me there. I just want the weather to make up its mind. <laughs> make up your mind, weather. So, uh, yeah, I just like, I, I, and you know, then it's, and then a bonfire, and sitting in a bonfire at night, this means one thing. You're going to have a cold back. <laughs> right? You're going to have like the warmest front you've ever had, and your back's going to be cold. And right. then I don't, and I don't drink beer. I just, you know, I'll drink pop, but... Like, I don't know what it is. Like, beer drinkers, they can drink, like, 10 beer, and it's fine. But if a pop drinker sat down and drank 10 pops, like, that's a problem. So yeah. you're like... Yeah, you're going to insulin shop. <laughs> you're just like, you can't drink all day, you know? And 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 when I say drink all day, I, I, I mean, like, you can't have, like, a beer in your hand all day long. And, like, sure, you know, like, the younger guys are, like, they'll have, like, a Rattler or whatever, like, a less a less uh, alcohol, less less alcohol-filled beer kind of thing but but yeah they're still like drinking it all day long like it's water and with you know and then i guess they're slightly inebriated so then they think their conversation's sparkling but it's not you know so then you're just sitting there you know and your back's cold and your front's really really too warm and you've already had like your six or seven marshmallows so that's that thrills over and yeah then it's just like you know what i'm just gonna leave in a way that it seems like I'm going to go to the bathroom, but then just not come back. So I would often end up sitting, going down in the basement and just hanging around with my nephews and, and daughters and playing video games and yakking with them. And yeah, that's way, that is way It's way more better. fun. It's more fun. Yeah. I, I was that, uh, before, you know, the problems, you know, in the world, uh, said, don't see anybody ever. 
Um, <laughs> we went to we went to uh, a friend's place who was having. I guess it was a birthday. I think there was a cake involved. So yeah, there was a birthday, but it was like a delayed birthday. Like they had the birthday days before, and like oh, we might as well bring out a cake and say it's a birthday thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just want an excuse. <laughs> sure. And so it's like uh, some nerds, some 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 nerds from the past that we that we knew. And it was like all oh, right, this will be nice. And it was just like, oh, they just had the worst takes on everything. Everything. <laughs> Which is like, oh, I just can't even disagree anymore. I'm just going to sit here quietly and wish that I could go and hang out with the kids. And just go, what are you guys doing in the woods? Throwing rocks at the tree? Sounds great. Let's do that. Throw a rock at a tree. Oh. That is great to do, by the way. Yeah. Zack Snyder's a genius, huh? Okay. Sure. Sure. All right. It's in what? What? In what? Which one? I've seen, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, it's just so weird. And that, and these are the nerds who I sort of would agree with generally. When, yeah. I got, when I'm like with regular adults and just hear their hot takes on the politics of the day, it's just like, oh, my God. Just that, first of all, it sounds like almost always you really don't like your kids. Yeah. Like, you don't like any aspect of what your kids are doing or anything at all. And it's just like, okay. That's weird. But you know, what's good about what they're – anything good? Why is it all negative? Why everything negative? Some good. Ah, balance it out. But no. <laughs> this is this is the stuff they dine out on, and they just, I guess, want another adult to just agree with them and just go, yeah, they, they, that is wrong, and kids are worse now than they used to be. <laughs> it's like, no, they're better. Quite, quite a bit better, probably. I can't – well, I would say same as, but I can't, uh, I can't, yeah, it's weird. I, I, it's, it's, just, it's strange to me that there's adults that still would hold to that kind of a, an idea. Like you think at some point, like we're, we're smart enough to go, oh, wait a second, that's not the case. Well, I think they know more That's not the case about, anymore. I think they, I think they, they, they get more that uh, bullying is wrong. I think it's easier now if you're uh, gay or trans. I think there's a lot of things like that that like, it, it, it is it is better now in those respects than it was, you know, in our in our day. I mean, as it always is, mm-hmm. things get always better in those things. Like, yeah, yeah, there's human nature, and people will always make selfish choices, and people will yeah, also yeah. be fear based well, in the things they do, and fear the different, and what have you. Yeah, but that's that, that still general, exists. Yeah. I, yeah, in general, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I think yeah, the extremes are different, and I think our generation. To be honest with you, I think our generation was like a was like kind of one of the early steps in the right direction. Like when I when I hear like Lisa tell stories of her her generation, like she you know she's four years older than me, so she went she graduated from high school before I'd even gone into high school before I got into senior high school. Is she is she four years older than you, or did she just want the vaccine? <laughs> That's a good question. I think there's people right now who will be in the future will going to go. I do want to get back to your story. Yeah, but yeah. we'll be in the future. We'll be looking like that person lived to be 115 years old. Nope, they lied when it was vaccine time. They just said they were that age because they wanted the vaccine. And then they had to stick with that age. <laughs> that's what they said to the government. But yeah, no, okay. Let's just say she's, let's say she's four years older than you. I'll believe you. Okay, okay. please do. This will keep that. We'll keep that plot. We'll keep that. Uh, not plot. Sure. We'll keep that lie alive. Just, sure, canon. sure. Yeah. Well, we don't want the government to investigate or get yeah. snoopy. Yeah. So they'll we'll, take. Uh, they'll mm-hmm. take the vaccine out of her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. So yeah. So like her stories that she tells me of like you know 
teenage misbehavior. Just the just, and it could be like she grew up in a farm area, farm community, so it might have just been like a different level of of callousness that mm. maybe comes out of like you know farm life where you know life is cheap because <laughs> that's where life is cheapest is on a farm. But uh, yeah, it's like uh, yeah, just they just I don't want to tell these stories because they're just real downers, but they're awful things, and I just feel like hmm, I don't remember stuff like that happening or even being discussed when I was in school and maybe maybe that was a good thing or not but then thinking about it i do remember bullying of a particular of a of a kind of a i don't call it sexual nature but definitely making fun of 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 you know kind of slut shaming and stuff like that that went on when i was in junior high school that was pretty un- unseemly as i and it's the sort of thing that uh, as a kid who you know i don't want to say i was bullied but i definitely i guess it was sort of bullying i definitely was like teased growing up you know for weird things and so I think I was probably more empathetic to to be people being bullied than maybe people who just kind of like gl- glided through and didn't didn't have to face that you know. Right. So you're, you're a little more you're a little more conscious of it. And I didn't I didn't have like that revenge bully thing where you're like oh finally someone's getting it and not me. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I always hated that kind of stuff. And and but I do remember a little bit of that when I was in junior high school more than senior high school. Yeah, senior high school again. I was told. When I was going to senior high, that uh, it would, things would change, and they were right. Like just the feeling change. I think it was, mm-hmm. you know, I, maybe it, maybe it is just moving to a different space, and you reset a little bit. It's you're all, it's and, and that, also you, yeah, you, yeah. Cha- you do change a lot in those amount of years. Sure, like and then, in a way, there's a reset too because you're you're joined by twice or oh, three times as many people that you were with before, and mm-hmm. so your friend group can expand. You know, you have more like more choice of of or better chance of finding people of a, of a of a similar disposition to you and also your past misdeeds kind of go in the rearview mirror because suddenly there's all these people that didn't grow up with you and don't know you and don't you know don't know that story about you from grade 5 or whatever and you can kind of you can kind of live past that stuff and i think that's that was kind of a handy thing and i kind of wonder now like like you know we how we grew up the, the idea of you know elementary's feeding into junior high schools then fed into a jun- junior high, or senior high school that's gone the way of the the dodo now like yeah that's really chilling when i see that like the idea that i would go to burnsview and have to stay there for 5 years all high school yeah. would just be just like jeez yeah no not at all that's <laughs> awful and also i think that yeah. you, you don't get that clean start yeah, they, you're talking about because you've got the internet presence and whatnot. So mm, mm. you know, immediately someone meets you and like, oh, what's this person? Click, 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 yeah. and they've got all your past history on there, and you can't well, really do well, that new thing. Believe me, if people want to bully someone, they will. They will remember, and they'll they'll spread it. They'll pass it on to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll meet someone and you'll be like, oh, I met so and so, and they'll be like, oh yeah, the guy who blah blah blah. And you're like, that doesn't matter. Like, why are you bringing? the past up but people will bring it up because that's you know that's what they cling to because it, it partly is that kind of you know at least i'm not being bullied yeah uh, there's times i remember uh people who i would consider bullies uh you, you got the feeling that they didn't want to do it anymore but it was just that's our relationship you know <laughs> where it would be like there occasionally they'd say something nice to you and then go like, oh, yeah, i gotta sorry. <laughs> yeah you, you queer you know they have to like Go back yeah, into yeah, it. they probably you know, had matured. I, there was a time where I mm-hmm. ended up getting into a fight and won a fight, and then I was like, eh, "Good fight, man." And I didn't, I didn't like the praise for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it was like, "Oh, you're 
what? What's our thing? No, you're a jerk to me. Don't be nice to me now. This doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> I mean, my thing yeah. was I, I found like another world outside of school. So I was like, oh, okay, there's perspective. I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see that everything isn't this. And so, you know, that was my oof. And then by the time I got to uh, high school, high school, senior high school, I was like, yeah, I could take this or leave it. You know, should this ever really go south? I'll, uh, I'm, go- I'm, I'm out. Yeah. No, yeah. no thanks. No, no dice. I'll figure, I'll figure something out. It was just like, get to college and, and, and just get done. Get done. Get to college. <laughs> get, 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 get to there and then you'll be okay. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. I remember this girl um, turning to me. In cl- I said something in class one time and this girl turning around and looking at me appraisingly and saying, you know what? You're really smart. And I was like, think about it now. I was like, I guess I was just so invisible in school. I just hid myself so so carefully just to keep keep a low, no one needs to know I'm here. No one needs to pay attention to me. Pay no attention to the person sitting behind you. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, that would be an interesting thing. It's just the, looking at like a class, again, um, it's my, you know, who believes in fairies? Uh, but like, <laughs> if you have a class full of people and it's like, if you weren't scared to talk right now, what would you be talking about? Who would you be if you weren't afraid right now of like being who you are mm. and, 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 you know, and, and expressing your interests and what have you. But, you know, you know, the thing to do, the smart move is keep quiet, keep your head down. <laughs> yes. Well, don't, you just don't be, don't yeah. be the nail that sticks out, yeah. you know, especially then you can be more of a nail later. Uh, and then in college, you can totally be a fucking nail. You can hope people nail you in yeah. college. Um, uh, but you got you to keep it low, keep it small. Well, and, uh, when, when, you're, when you're different, and I was a different kid than other kids, and it was okay when I lived in Coquitlam because I'd grown up with all these people. And even though I would occasionally get teased or ostracized for a day, uh, which was a weird thing that would happen every once in a while, um, generally, you know, I was just accepted for who I was. You know, there wasn't like a, any kind of mass awareness that I was different. But mm-hmm. when I moved, when my parents moved to Delta, I ended up with people who didn't know me. And so then whatever about me was strange to them was just strange to them. It wasn't who I was. It was just this strange person who's arrived in our school who likes drawing cartoons and, you know, likes and likes comedy more than most people do. And, you know, so what a weirdo. And uh, I'm going to beat him up in the schoolyard unless he tells me a joke, you know. And uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. You had that uh, jokes or punches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why you never like going to punchlines. It was like, this reminds me of money. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's really desperate comedy. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's just, and so I had to like get my dad to tell me jokes too, because I, I only had so many jokes that I knew. Like, hey, dad, do you know any good like jokes I could tell someone? Oh, okay. Let me think. Uh, of course, my dad's probably like, jokes that I could tell a kid. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, just stuff, you know, so I guess you do kind of learn like, oh, I'm not acceptable. So I better just like be quiet and just keep my head down. And and, and then, you know, and, and all the things that are awkward about you, whatever, just, you know, it's all it's all magnified by your moving. So, that so how did you go different. then from uh, that? Mm-hmm. Of course, you gotta keep it keep it small, keep it tight. Yeah. Uh, to uh, I want to go and do a live show in front of uh, <laughs> other kids, and I want to like I want to have a spotlight on me. Yeah. And I want to have them all shut up. Sure. And look at me, and then you know that thing where I make a person laugh or they beat me up. I'm gonna have that, but like a room full of people looking at me while I try to make them laugh. Yeah. So well, at what point does that flip over to like? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a good question. Well, but Kate, well, first thing, the first answer is I didn't do that when I the first day I arrived at at senior high school. So okay. that was a year after you know that was I went through grade eleven and it was a grade twelve that decided to. St- did you did you in, in grade like ten or above or below uh, at any point do any performing that was similar to that? No, not at all. Okay, I mean, so- I, well, I did in a way. Like I've talked about before, my friend and I would would do like fake radio shows uh, into a tape recorder. And we would write sketches and perform sketches. But you wouldn't do it for machine. people. We wouldn't do it for an audience. No. Right. I would play okay. it for people, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so when did when did the you know I've got to do this to people happen? When was that moment? I don't know. It was in the summer. Uh, I was with another friend, a guy named Dave Trimble, who you of course know. Yeah. And I just was talking to him, and I said, you know, I, we could we could form a comedy troupe, a comedy troupe at at uh, or group or whatever at. NDSS, like, just put out, like, a. am sure there's other people who'd be interested, and, because it just seemed like, I think to me, like, after I went through grade 11, I realized, I, I realized what we were talking about, that, like, you, you're just, like, a new person there, you can, like, you can just, like, recreate yourself, and no one knows who you are, like, I made all new friends in grade 11, you know, like, everyone I knew in grade 10 and stuff like that, I don't want to say I dropped them, in some cases I, I kind of moved on from some people who's, you know, kind of went into, like, a party more direction in their life and that's not who i was so you know i kind of moved on in terms of my friends and stuff but there was like you suddenly had like this you know triple the people around you and you could choose like from people from other schools who didn't know who you were and you know didn't there's no baggage or anything and you just could like remake yourself for people and so yeah i just kind of decided that's what we're gonna do so i don't know i have no idea what prompted i didn't i just i just thought well this is what People like Monty Python and groups that I admire, like British comedy groups, they had, you know, those review clubs. And we, of course, took the name of ours from the famous Footlights Club, the Cambridge Review, you know, the, the performing uh, group at Cambridge that so many British co- comics have come through, you know, like obviously a lot of the Pythons, but the goodies and and people from not the 9 o'clock news and and uh, French and Saunders and, and on and on. I uh, think, I might be wrong, I think Hugh Laurie was part of Footlights? I may be wrong, but, you know, there's just, like, a yeah, lot of people. So. And, and Stephen Fry, yeah. I don't know if... I think Stephen Fry was an Oxford guy. I'm not I'm not absolutely Okay, certain. well, wherever, yeah. wherever Laurie was, Fry was, and so was Emma Thompson. Yeah, I think... I think, yeah. I think Emma Thompson was also... It disappeared, you know, like, yeah. There's... And Oxford had its own kind of thing that they... But it wasn't quite as established as... And it wasn't quite... As, it was more loosey-goosey than the Footlights Club, which was a very old, very established, you know, system of how it worked and how people auditioned and performed and and everything else, and how they'd put together their shows that would play at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and things, even back in the 60s. So, um, yeah, so that just seemed like such a brilliant idea to me, and I just thought, you know, like, I'm sure there's funny people at the school who would want to be funny, so let's just, let's just put it put it out there and see what happens, because this is how it's done. Right, as we've said, like, that's how I, I really I really met you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the first time that we ever did a live show uh, for the lunch crowd yeah um uh was that your first performing from an audience yeah yeah besides besides being in band yeah and that's right, a, that's with a big group that's a big group so you're not yeah that's a different that's a different beast yeah yeah no no i never and, done it before yeah okay and so how that's was why your... i was so terrible <laughs> oh i don't remember you being terrible <laughs> no i'm joking i'm sure i was fine yeah like uh i mean at least it was it was to the point i don't know how it went because i can't really remember it no, but a blur. I, it must have gone to a degree that either we were oblivious with how bad it went and we decided to do another one or 
it went well, and so yeah, no, it went really well. We had a lot of laughs. The one thing I remember is when I, I did this one thing in this sketch where I interrupted it and did a and did a, a tap solo from the side of the stage with just one foot in the spotlight. I do remember that. Okay, and I just remember that getting like huge laughter from people, and it was just so silly. But you know, that's where my humor tends to go in that direction into that kind of silliness. So, so yeah, I just remember. And just being so pleased because no one could see me. It was just my foot in the spotlight yeah. doing this little, you know, kind of. Isn't that laugh. nice when it's uh, when it's something that you get a laugh for, <laughs> yeah. and it's something that's you? Yeah, exactly. Not like yeah. You're doing a generic old, you know, sketch yeah. that's like he's doing the classic blah 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 bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's like no, this is just something you made up that you thought was funny. Mm-hmm. You don't know if it's good or not. You yeah. do it, it kills. <laughs> that just that just fills you up with this, oh, I was right. Sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. they get me. Oh, this is yeah, it's just such a good feeling. Sure. I mean, you know, and we and as much as we could, we you know, we rehearsed really we rehearsed a lot and we like we're really I thought we were very like careful about what we chose and what we chose not to do and stuff like that, you know. So you know, I think we were serious about it and we seriously like edited ourselves and 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 except, except we really we really fought hard to try and get the n-word to a sketch but, <laughs> I, don't but re- I don't remember that but that's we, a good we, thing we, got, we did we got the we got the no yeah we got the we got the no on that that's from good. our uh, black teacher who, <laughs> <laughs> was like, i don't think we're going to be doing that i was like oh, all right i think i don't think was it mr Black? well i mean he was he was i think he was like uh tamil or something right he was mm-hmm. he's like a uh, Indian, but yeah, yeah, he was. Yes, he was not in favor of such things, and he was right, <laughs> more than right. right, more Absolutely than right. And let's just right. say that it was it was meant in a way that was you know making fun of the idea of, yes. of that, but it's not. Yeah, I was watching something today on um, Twitter. It was a guy like it was like a little kind of uh, sketch he did where he's like you know parading around the house going, I got you know such and such high school prank. You know it's not pranks, but it's high school. You know like. High school sex movie, basically, what it could be called, right? And he's just like, uh, "This, I just love this movie when I was 15. you got to watch it. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. And then he starts watching. He's just like, <laughs> you know, it's all this, you know, what's going on, homo? And all this stuff. And he's like, oh, my God. I don't, you know, all the things you don't remember from your youth, you know, that you just, because it was just so, it was just of the norm, you know, of the time yeah. that you just. And it ends with the rape scene. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, my God. No, no, it's what? fine. No, no, the, the unconscious girl rape scene. That's the. And he's like, the character's like, go back to the diarrhea scene. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was quite good. It's like, yeah. And is, uh, how do I feel about that Asian character? <laughs> I don't know. Is it empowering that at least they, they're a lead? There, yeah. Is that good? Something. Can I, how can I justify this? Can I justify <laughs> this in my, I can't, I can't do it. It won't go that far. I can't. Oh no. Oh, movie. Yeah. Oh, why? Is it, is it groundbreaking or is it? No, I guess not. Because no one. Or is it grave digging? No one No one followed that with anything like any similar role ever after. Yeah, no, I guess not really groundbreaking. Yeah, but John Hughes, he, yeah, he's a Venera and he's a thing. That's it. There's a lot of, yeah, I mean, we have those too. There's a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, things you just take for granted that are, that's how it is. Well, here's, I mean, if, you know, when you're looking back on on that kind of stuff and going like, oh, uh, it is interesting sometimes when you look back on uh, even like The Simpsons. Yeah. And you go like, you just see a joke from like 10 years ago that you're just, yikes, (laughs) what? Was it really? It's it's an interesting marker. Like there's, there's one part where you can just go and dismiss things and just go, oh boy, or you can go just like, okay, but 
was this acceptable then? And yeah. it changed. And why did it change? Mm -hmm. And what's going on there? Like the whole joke is about this. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a joke about uh, Skinner being a tranny. Like it's like he wears a dress and, they, and, and Nelson yells, ah, Skinner is a tranny. And uh, it's like, what the shit is that? How can that be a, well, what's the shit? It's the major plot plot twist in Ace Ventura Pet Detective is that um, the female police chief is, is sure. trans and, you know, and it has the thing where he's, you know, plunging his face with a toilet plunger, you know, to suck out all the trans you know, cooties that have got into him or whatever from a kiss. And right. See also Austin Powers. See also Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. You know, just, you're just like, oh, Crocodile Dundee. That was a really interesting one. Uh, not a knife. That's a knife. Here we go. And just like, oh, no. And, and what's so weird about it is what I think, I mean, it's been a while since I saw the movie. Maybe I'd be horrified by it now. But it seems to me a very sympathetic portrayal as John Lithgow in World According to Garp of a trans person. I think that one's better. I think that is I, Like I said, I'm not, you know, I saw that movie in the theater. So that there tells was, you how long ago it, I saw it. I so. mean, there's a movie that starts with, you know, uh, is it Glenn Close as his Glenn mom? Close, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, raping a guy who's like in a, uh, in, you know, in a coma. Mm -hmm. And is like, hmm. And she's a good guy. Like that's that's your <laughs> positive start, you know. So it's like, okay, well, wherever we're going from here, like even back then, yeah. Like it was like, man, I don't know about that. I don't know that's. It's a weird. It's a weird. It's a weird book. It's a weirder book than it is a weird movie. The book is the movie actually like filters out a lot of the really disturbing stuff in the book. Really disturbing stuff. Because a, like a lot more of the a lot more of like the. A lot more of the rape elements of the story of the one character, the silent character, is explored and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or the, uh, you know, like the thing, the, the woman who's like this, the kind of movement springs up around that. Um, yeah. The Garp kind of becomes the enemy of. Uh, in the in the novel, that's explored a lot more. Yeah, I went I went on a John Irving read reading fest after I saw that movie because I I liked it quite a bit. Uh, you know, and, and you're right. I never even thought about that. That <laughs> it is a rape of a of a soldier who is in a uh, body full body cast or is a, a coma or something like that. And yep. Glenn Close's character who to be fair to her character <laughs> yes. is in a situation where it is not socially acceptable for her to, to have a sperm donor yep. so that she can have a baby without having to have a husband. And that's what she wants. She just wants the baby. She doesn't want the baggage of a husband. And so I guess that's, <sighs> you know, needs must sort of situation, but I, I, I you know, yes, you're right. It, it, it is what it is. You're right. It is. Yeah. It's not a, great. Not great. Yeah. Cause she is, she is supposed to be like admirable for her like in, independence and her like, you know, kind of, uh, but yeah, I think there's, I think the movie is, is, oh man, you know, it's nuanced. Let's put it that way. It doesn't, con yeah. it doesn't condemn in either direction. I don't think in terms of some of the more extreme views that the characters in the movie. It would be interesting. Hold. Yeah. Going through, like doing kind of a Cliff Nesteroff look at comedy and just going, yeah. okay, what was acceptable when? Sure. I, we're when not, we're not calling World According a Garp a comedy, though, because it is not a comedy, right? I mean, it's a movie that has there funny are, moments. There are comedy elements, and it was sold but, as a comedy. It's a drama. Say. It's a drama for sure. But yeah. I will say, like, if you look at the trailer for it, it was definitely sold. Oh, yeah, because Robin Williams is in it. So I think that's I think that's just mis, mishandling by the by the marketing. I don't think that's what the movie the, – because the book is not a comedy book. It's not a humor book. It's a it's – a, very serious novel, like all right. of John Irving's novels. But I mean, all of his novels are also very kooky, right? There's a very weird element to them. There's the incest element of New Hotel New Hampshire. Correct me if I'm wrong. There is, isn't there? I don't remember now. Yeah. I read that book when I was selling encyclopedias. 
there's every every one of his books has a kind of strange. You know what? All all seventies novels have some weird element to them. We're just kind of like, what? What is what is this? Come on. Uh, oh, what's the lady who wrote? Um, oh, what's it called? Ah, never mind. It's fine. That's okay. If I, I gonna... if it, go ahead. It's a, it was a movie, Accidental Tourist. Yeah. Her, okay. her novels often have things in them where you're just kind of like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. You know, but it's not, I don't think it, you know, in many cases, like, the di- one thing you have to understand, like, when you're watching fiction is is the difference between between adv- advocating something or just showing it to talk about it. You know, there's a difference between those two things. You know, like, you can have a movie that has, once again, has Nazis in it, that is not promoting Nazism. Just, mm-hmm. just looking at you know prejudice and and how you know how the social organism can be manipulated. You can have a movie talking about rape that is not pro-rape. You know, you can have these movies can discuss things and have characters do things in movies that you might find abhorrent, but the person writing it or doing the movie is not advocating those positions. They're just putting it out there as a way for us like, for something to talk about as a talking point. Right. The, 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 you know, the problem uh, being that if all these movies uh, star people that are from the same background, exactly. Uh, then you're not. And, and the, and the people that the other things are happening to, or who are the comedy relief mm-hmm. um, are not fully developed characters, yeah. but are, you know, there to serve the character of the main character. Who sure. is you know you know a white dude or a white lady? Yeah, yeah. Rarely a white lady. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and sure, sure. I'm not. You know, I'm. I wasn't talking about comedies or, or the you know gay slurs or or, or racist sure. things in, in comedies. That's that's totally different. That is not. That is not. Uh, that is not talking points. That, right. that is not a, you, That is not a, a. That is not putting something out there for us to talk about. You know, like that's that's. There's a difference between. Right. And then you throw yeah. in all the movies that are the cop movies. That also have their own stereotypes and their own mm-hmm, whatnot, mm-hmm. whatnot. Where where I kind of go with this is, you know, I think I, we've had this discussion before. I was like, can you judge the films of the past of like with the with the present? But what 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 I go with with this is okay. And again, I I, I try to look at it as you know, it's it's something that's growing, it's something that's evolving, mm-hmm, and hopefully we're mm-hmm. evolving as well. Yeah. So it's like okay, so. What was acceptable in the 70s that is not acceptable in the 80s? What's acceptable in the 80s that was not acceptable in the 2000s? What's acceptable in the 2000s? Skinner is a tranny. Uh, (laughs) It is not acceptable now. Okay, so the next logical place to go with that is what's going on right now that will not be acceptable in 10 years? Can we get on that now? Can we look (laughs) at it and just go like, okay, so what is what's missing or what's what's the flaw and 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 why what is what's what's the what's the thing that's going on um and that's fair but i think the other danger of that though is then a kind of a, a an unnuanced handling of it where it can seem kind of clunky when you look back at it so a movie like crossfire which deals with anti-semitism in the u.s army after world war ii or guess who's coming to dinner you know mm-hmm. which are well-intentioned films but can seem kind of clunky to us now because you know it's even though their motives are good Maybe they just hadn't fully thought out how they were going to present, you know, approach these things, or they approach it in a Hollywood way that of its time period that leaves you kind of scratching your head a little bit. Well, it's like you know, if you were doing a movie about the experience of being a woman, you could have which the I best know, in- which I know a lot about. There you go. You could have the best intentions, mm-hmm. 
when you're not a woman. So just on that basic level, it's yeah. just like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be the one doing this movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's good that you would want to and not just try to do movies about sure. your own experience. You're right. That is true. But then you've got to bring in, for sure, other people mm -hmm. to give their perspective. Otherwise, you're going, well, on the surface, it seems like this. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that right? And then, you know. And you're right. You're, and I, it's, you know, of course, it amazes us now that it didn't occur to people in the past that they should do that. But I mean, those people at that time period were like, well, I'm a writer. I can put myself in someone else's shoes. And that was always the yeah. idea. It was yeah. like, I can't. Yeah. I could, be, I could be anybody. What are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the writer would be insulted if you said, you know, maybe you should like, you know, hey, guess who's coming to dinner? Maybe you could like bring in James Baldwin, you know, the writer who probably has like a really interesting take on being black in this particular time in America and could give you add some kind of nuance to the, you know, Sidney Poitier character. That would be interesting. Yeah. You know, then the writer would get all kind of like, what are you saying? I'm a bad writer? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, that maybe your perspective is different than, <laughs> oh, you're saying I can't look at it from things from other people's point of view. Hey, well, you know, so, yeah. it's just, you and know, then, it's and, yeah, yeah. saying to Norman Lear, you know, <laughs> who's an amazing success, yeah. uh, you know, maybe good times get, maybe that's not the show for you to write. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. You know, maybe someone else has an idea of like what the Jefferson's yeah, life would be like. Maybe bring in some other voices. Yeah, what other voices? Yeah, yeah. And maybe they did. Who knows? But I, yeah, I don't, I don't again, know for sure. I don't my know what shoulders, the... threw my hands in the air. I think, I think that on the on the more most basic level is the more you know uh, people that you get in, you know, uh, to things, creating things. The more you know, I don't, I don't want to say diverse because that's a loaded word. Yeah, but. But yeah, that's exactly what it fucking is. Mm -hmm. It's just like, and then, oh, okay, now we're uh, now we're getting something different. We're getting more perspectives, and here we go, and here we go. Yeah. And again, this is the sad thing. It's like all these people who are writing these other things. You know, it's well intentioned. You know, I'm sure Mickey Rooney didn't mean anything with that character <laughs> in Breakfast with Tiffany. I thought he, <laughs> we're just having a good time here, right? I don't I don't hate anybody. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, goo, goo. All right. <laughs> I I have never seen that film. I have seen that portrayal though, like just like you know a clip from it, and yeah. of course, you're just horrified at it. But what I imagine is it's like a frog in a pot. But the movie kind of slowly introduces it, so by the time it's like full on, you're just kind of like, oh, all right, this is how it's going. Yeah, and what's what's worse is it um, say like uh, Sean Connery uh, going into you know Asian face for you know whatever movie he did that in James Bond. You only live twice. Right, and going like trying to play it straight, like this is all fine. Uh, or is it Mickey Rooney going full on, oh, goo, you know, vaudeville, you know, with his thing? I don't. I, you know what? Both. Live. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna. Yeah, it's a shot. You know, to what? be honest, a shot in the belly or a shot in the heart. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to excuse Sean Connery because the the canard there is that he is a white guy who's being made made to look. Japanese, which uh, is totally unconvincing, obviously, yes. But that, to me, that's different than... Fooled all of Japan. The yeah. history... <laughs> Why are... You're certainly a rather big... Anyway, they... <laughs> they. Uh, but it, to me, it's much worse. Like, the history of, like, only hiring white people for speaking roles as Asians. Like, that is, to me, is a hundred times more offensive than... And that's not to say that the, the Sean Carney thing isn't offensive, you know. But to me, it's like... It's a dumb thing in a movie. Whereas, like, the fact that from, like, you know, Lost Horizon, the Tibetans are all played by white people with, you know, with eye makeup on, or um, the, you know, the, the Charlie Chan played by, you know, a white guy. 
you know, or Peter Laurie playing Mr. Moto, or uh, you know, just on and on, all the way up to like the you know, like some Italian guy playing a Japanese character on Gilligan's Island. You know, like yeah, like it's just that to me is worse than you know, or Mickey Rooney playing a Japanese character. Like this effect that it seemed impossible. You know, even though there were examples of people, even though there were. Um, I can't remember your name now, because I'm dumb. Not dumb, just forgetful, everyone, sorry. I don't want to call myself dumb. Um, but you know who I mean. She was an, she was an actress, a leading actress, mostly for B-movies, but she was Chinese. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a beautiful woman. And she, she acted in, in films, you know, and they're like, this character's going to be Chinese. Oh, let's hire this Chinese actress to do it. What? But yeah, they did it, you know? And and then there's The Cat's Paw, which is not a perfect movie, the Harold Lloyd film. But hey, at least for the majority I, majority of the roles in that film, there actually are Chinese actors playing Chinese people. And it's not white guys, you know, oh, it's a speaking part? You know, obviously an Asian person can handle that. Forget it. Let's bring in some white guy and just put on heavy lidded makeup on him or whatever. Like that is just so so much garbage, you know, and you just can't believe like how long that went on when there were people who were working behind the camera. There are people who were working in front of the camera. You know, there's a director, Alan Dwan, who is a longtime Hollywood director who's Chinese. And even, you know, he can't break that that curse, you know, like it's just it's so yeah, it's it's wrong. It's wrong in every way. So I'm gonna give You Only Live Twice a somewhat of a pass because they weren't pretending that James Bond was actually a Japanese person in the movie. It's just like, it's just a dumb movie where they do like the dumbest, worst transformation of a person. You know, I don't know how they could have made it better, but whatever. It's of its time and let's let's just move on from that. But it just seems somehow it's so bad to me that even in the 60s, which is, I assume that's when Breakfast at Tiffany's was made, it was still not even considered as an idea that you would hire an actual person of that race to play that race in the movie. Like... Oh no, we can't hire a Japanese person. There's there's no Japanese people in Hollywood. We'll just get Mickey Rooney in and he can wear thick glasses and, and have buck teeth. Like Well, all you could get probably would have been um Pat Morita, you know. Like I'm trying to think like who would be a comedian? Because it's it's the comedy relief part. Yeah, yeah. Right. So and, and it's a guy who's basically doing Jerry Lewis's Japanese. Film. Sure. But he has he's supposed to have a Japanese accent. So yeah. there are Japanese actors acting at that time who were comedy actors who you could have brought in and it's the 60s so it's not impossible people were coming from other parts of the world to act in movies but maybe the thing the problem with that is Sophia Loren was there you know Gina Lollobrigida was making movies I think I think I think the pro- I think the problem was that part of what you're supposed to laugh at is the very idea that they're Japanese that like the very idea that they're this outsider, mm. you know, who has this bizarre culture, like you know. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. you were to ask someone from that culture to do it, it'd be racism. But if you're doing it like a full cartoon, then there you go. Uh, and it's, uh, ugh. yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, ugh. and it's fine. It's fine that we uh, right now on Turner Classic Movies they've got like uh, something where they're. Uh, Showing these films, but beforehand they talk, have a talk about it. Oh, that's good. I, I appreciate that. These things down, yeah. I don't think you should not show those movies, but I think it's good that. Oh, well, you would have to, to eliminate the... almost every movie if you're. Yeah, yeah, doing yeah. That. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, was just I don't. Watching... I, once again, I, do, I don't object to like, like. There's a few Preston Sturges films where it has like a black porter, a black train porter, and of course, those, it's a comedy role, and. 
But I don't object to that because that was a job of the time. And it's an unfortunate thing that, to me, it's an unfortunate thing that, you know, even though slavery was over, it seemed like, you know, all the sort of jobs that were like serv- servant jobs were the most available for black people. But it was a reality at the time that that was a job that, that people, that, you know, people did at that time, like black people did at the time. So, like, I don't object to that. I don't, I don't like it if they're, if they're made to play dumb or whatever and, or, you know, or do the ghost stuff like that. But, you know, comedy hilarious but anyways so but i think I'm just I'm, okay so ahead. you say you say what you're gonna say and then i'll see all right i'll be real fast on mine you don't is, uh, i watched for the for the uh we're watching uh, uh the end of rope uh the other day okay and, and i was like oh man jimmy stewart was in quite a few uh hitchcock movies and it's like oh yeah he like alternated with cary grant and uh, and i looked up all the uh, jimmy stewart uh, hitchcock movies and went, oh i've never seen the man who knew too much so okay. we watched that the other night which is good it's a good film it's a remake um, of his own movie Oh, is it? What was the what was the uh, what was the remake of? Which one? Uh, the man who knew too much. Was, he did a black oh. and white British version ri- originally oh, that nice. he remade it as a with more money. Yeah, I mean, and the film is the film is good, yeah. uh, but it starts off with uh, Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day and a kid who's you know the kind of uh, kid who yell acts uh, as you would at the time. <laughs> it's like, hey, daddy! It's like, all right, settle. <laughs> we, get, we get it. Someone get the kid a mic. Um, <laughs> they're, just, they're yelling the lines to you off camera. You don't have to yell them back. But they're traveling in French uh, Morocco. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk there about, you know, oh, this, and, you know, well, this is what the Muslim religion's like. Yeah. And there's a lot of this kind of bit. It's just like this casual stuff that you're just, oh, why is it starting with this? <laughs> Okay, and yes, all other cultures are weird. Yeah, and you know they they eat weird later too. You know how they eat weird and they sit weird. It's all weird. It's like okay, there you go. And it's 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 fine. But it's again, it's one of these movies. Like even this movie that you're like, yeah, this movie's fine. Oh boy, okay, here we uh uh every yeah. The other is hilarious because it is the other. And we can play that for laughs. And look at Jimmy Stewart. He's trying to sit like a person, but they don't sit normal. And he wants to eat with both his hands, but he doesn't realize. He doesn't know. What a guy. But continue, please. I was just going to say, I think the real test is, does a movie or a TV show still hold on to those old ideas when those old ideas have been recognized as old? That's to me, is more of a test of a film. You know, if it's still doing trans uh, trans jokes in the... the teens that's to me more you know more of a sin than a, a show from the, the mid 2000s making a joke it's not it's not great that they did it then of course but you know it's of its time you know let's let's move on from that we have moved on from that but if people are still now wanting to like still do gay jokes and still still want to do tranny jokes and and, and things in there and i'm not using tranny in a derogative way i just mean that's what that's the words they'd like to use when they're making these jokes then that's um you know, to me, that's that seems worse to me. Like you, you know, you just have to recognize when when culture has moved on and you're, and that comedy doesn't really work anymore. Let's let's move on, uh, scary movie or whatever. You know what I mean? Like uh, whatever the next uh, disaster movie, and let's find let's find less soft targets. I've spoken, I've spoken my piece. Good. Well, I'm glad that we've solved racism. We have solved and it you know, again. And, and the weird bit is, this started off, Dave, with you as a Nazi. <laughs> Well, I like so I like the show to circle. twist and turn. Where's our Peabody Award? <laughs> is, is Peabody Award? What is that award for? I thought that was a news award. Uh, it's it's it, for excellence in uh, broadcast. Oh, is it really? 
I believe so. Oh man, I would love to win uh, win an award called the Peabody Award. Okay, it's a great name, right? right? It's better yeah. than better than the Oscars. Who cares? Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's a Peabody Award. Let's see what the Peabody Award. <laughs> You're looking up, are you? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, to honor the most powerful, enlightening, and invigorating stories in television, radio, and online media. There you go. What have we done here today? Invigorated? Uh, enlightened? All right, well, listen, we got to submit it. we got okay, we'll to forget, forget it. I, I'm back and down. I, I, I live with a woman who submits to, like, uh, the yeah. fuel and yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, no, I'm, I'm used to, I'm used to uh, uh, putting things in the mail that I'm like, woo let's see. <laughs> who knows? Well, I just want to yeah. say, I just want to say, I'm out. Okay. Uh, oh, but you have to pay uh, $225 uh, to uh, to enter. Well, forget it then. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. That's yeah. a problem. Done. But it is a nice, uh, it's a nice award. <laughs> you know what? We might win it with your, um, with your Dark Shadows segment. Oh, Dark Shadows. Why don't we, why don't we try that? We'll try your Dark Shadows <laughs> segment and see if that puts us over the edge. All right. All right. Well, as you say, are you going to introduce it? Uh, yes, yes, I will introduce it. Hi, everybody. Um, let's go back to yesteryear. You know those years we were talking about before that are like, woo-hoo-hoo. Not that we're perfect now, but you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but back in the day, uh, they had soap operas, much like we do now. <laughs> and yet there was one soap opera that had a crucial difference. That difference being one of the main characters was a vampire named Barnabas Collins. Dave has been uh, watching these uh, old uh, shows on Tubi. Uh, a uh, uh, streaming service, and he has been filling us out uh, in, uh, filling us out. We've all been filling out, you know, with the pandemic and putting on a couple of pounds. Don't worry about that. But also, Dave has been filling us in on uh, the adventures of Mr. Collins, and so we didn't do it last week. So many of you uh, just lost your minds. That uh, <laughs> it's back. Calm down. Stop writing letters, please. Leave yes. us alone. Let us. Let us have our time with our families. Uh, <laughs> we're back with uh, the Adventures of Barnabas Collins. Dave, where did we leave off? Well, as everyone, oh, let me just start out by saying, Dork Shadows. Dork Shadows. So, uh, when we left last time, um, Julia Hoffman with Dr. Lang and Barnabas and the the uh, put together, the um, stitched together body, which has been named Adam by Barnabas, uh, they were in the midst of the experiment to try to transfer the life essence of Barnabas from Barnabas into the into the corpse, so the corpse could be animated and come to life. Doctor Okay, Lang's so he's doing dream. that. At least they didn't call him Frank. That would have been a bit too on the nose. Yeah, a little too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Doctor Stein. <laughs> so then, uh, in but Cassandra got kind of figured out what was going on because Barnabas, as usual, blew it. By giving away the story before before the thing like you guys, you're dealing with the witch. Quit announcing with a megaphone what you're doing to the witch. Like that's that's my because he sends Willie with a note to the to to Collingwood because he's worried that he won't be accepted there as Adam. So he like decides he's going to like pave the way by sending a note saying, "Hey guys, I'm going to England for a little while, but my nephew Adam's coming over, and so you know when he arrives, make him like family. All right, so Let's see if you can get him laid." <laughs> and so, yeah, by Vicky would be nice. Hint, hint. But then uh, Cassandra catches wind of this and she's like, oh, they're going to do this experiment. I better stop it. So she makes a voodoo doll of Dr. Lang and she tortures him and then accidentally kills him when she's interrupted in her, in her nice. task. So, so Dr. Lang dies 
leaving a recording for Julia. So then um, Barnabas, of course, is outraged by this, and he, he leaves, and he goes to Collinwood, where he impudently threatens Cassandra. He actually almost bites her, but he can't, because he's actually not a vampire. So oh. he's then also interrupted by Mrs. Johnson, the, the housemaid, the family's servant? I don't know how to call her. She's yeah, a, but by the way, we've established cooking. now, yeah. vo- voodoo is the true religion, because it works. So voodoo those works? of you that pick voodoo as your religion, <laughs> well done. You. I don't know. It's not so really. Also, it's not really done as like a voodoo. I call it a voodoo doll, but it's not really done as a voodoo thing. It's this. Oh, okay. She just has it as like a proxy of the person. Oh, all right, fair enough then. Yeah. Okay. This is part of the, her magical. But I mean, it could be. It is sort of voodooish, and she's said to be from Martinique, which I assume has a French background. So voodoo would be part of the part of the uh, the culture there. But anyway, it's not called voodoo in the in the show. It does it does take take elements of it. Um, Barnabas. Then he returns to, to Dr. Lang's built house or whatever, and he's, he wants Juliet to perform the procedure. And she's like, I can't do it. The, Dr. Lang was studying this for years. And he's like, you have to do it. And we have a time limit because this body is rotten in 48 hours. So she tries to study uh-huh. Lang's notes, but she becomes the dream curse's next victim. So uh, she has a dream where she's greeted by Mrs. Johnson at the door. At the door and... Uh, so the person who greets you, well, we talked about the dream curse before, but just to kind of outline it again. So the person, the person who's dreaming, when they dream of the person who, who comes to the door, that person is the person they're compelled to tell the dream to next. So Mrs. Johnson uh-huh. is at the door. And then Julia goes through the series of doors. She's led, of course, by Mrs. Johnson. Again, first, first Mrs. Johnson says some sort of cryptic message in the dream. And then she leads Julia to a room, Julia against her will to, to a room that has a series of doors in it and also some mist because it's a TV show. And so then uh, she goes through the series of doors. And so we get what everyone else saw before her. They get the skull, the guillotine, the headless body. And then the final one that uh, Julia finds is a skeletal bride, like a bride hanging in this sort of rotted uh, wooding dress and just a, you know, green, Green, you know, greenish glow around her and a skull. And of course, she's terrified and she, she awakes, but she has to resist, resist the compulsion to tell Mrs. Johnson about the dream. So, you know, she so wants to because that's, that's part of the curse is that you can't, can't keep it secret. You have to tell the person who you saw in the dream. And if you don't, you just keep having the dream over and over again and just being more and more terrified by it. So she visits Professor Stokes to discuss the dream curse, as he calls it. And what's really cool is she's telling him about the dream and they're filming her looking into a convex mirror. And so she's all distorted. Like she, And then Stokes is standing behind her and he's all distorted. But the cam- camera's looking at it in such a way that the camera can't be seen in the mirror. It's really kind of cleverly shot. Um, so he tells her that the curse ends in the sudden death of someone, but they don't know who it would be. Um, now, like I say, she feels compelled to tell Mrs. J. And she's at Lang's office, because that's where she's studying. But she can't really... She can't, like, get down to reading the notes because she's so obsessed with the dream and telling Mrs. Johnson. And out of the blue, Mrs. Johnson arrives at... Uh, sorry, just looking to see where I was in my, sure. my readings here. Uh, so so she's just... Julia tells her the dream. She just can't help herself. And um, now she can devote herself to Lang's notes. Then Vicky arrives to confront Bar- Barnabas about his plans because she's heard that he's leaving. Now, she doesn't know that he's not leaving because the whole thing failed. But... When he's talking to her, he can sense that the that his vampire tendencies are returning, and his desire for her is not not honorable. <laughs> so she leaves before anything happens. 
And he, but he goes to Julie and says, we have to do this. We cannot not do this because if we don't, I will become who I was and I don't want to be that person. So I don't care what the risks are. I don't care what's going to happen. We have to do it. So Julia conducts the procedure to transfer Barnabas's life essence into Adam. But as she's doing it, things go awry. Equipment explodes, basically like pots, little like flash pots are on the stage and they're like popping in the background because you don't actually want to exploit, you know, destroy equipment. That costs money. So yeah, but these little, uh, things are exploding in the background. So she has to stop the procedure and Barnabas regains consciousness and he is very angry that she has stopped it. But she's like, but the flashpots were going off. I couldn't see anything. And he, so she leaves the room and, and leaves Barnabas by himself. And he, he uh, is looking at the, you know, this thing that was supposed to take his life essence. It's laying there, this lifeless body. And he's monologuing to it. And he starts saying, you know, he starts telling it that it should live, live, live. <laughs> And then the creature opens its eyes. Ah, that's what happens. It's like, it's always live, damn you, live. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then, then it's alive and it knows it's alive. It goes, oh, I'm alive. Nice. So now Adam was somehow damaged during the procedure. So he can't speak. He's more like a child than he is an adult. And and um, so then uh, they, they uh, he, you know, he's running. He's, he's like kind of, I don't know how to describe what, what Adam's doing. He's like, you know, he's just kind of like going, uh, uh. Oh, that's a lot of that from this character through the rest of the thing. It's not all that exciting. To be honest. So, I, so was this, by the way, a tribute in Buffy when they call the same character that? That's name? what I thought was kind of interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, it's it's kind of curious. I mean, obviously, it's riffing on the same thing that is first man, right? Yeah. So, so that was uh, Barnabas conceit conceit in naming Adam that, and it's 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 the conceit of of the Doctor uh, in um in I can't remember the Doctor's name in. The, Buffy, but that's her scene as well. This is like, you know, the sort of new man, an uber man or whatever, and he's going to be Adam. Right. Uh, little did she know that he's not. He's just a monster. But um, so Barnabas resolves to die rather than revert to being a vampire. And so, because Julia's convincing him, like, you know, dawn is coming and you're not in, in your coffin. Like, you need to, like, go to sleep. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to be, I if I can't be who I am now, I don't want to live anymore. And so I'm just going to let dawn happen and I'm just going to die. And dawn comes and he doesn't die and he doesn't understand. Mm. But we understand because we listen to the, to the message of Dr. Lang who said that if, when Adam's alive, Barnabas will not revert to being a vampire. That was his message that Julia has not yet heard, but is sitting on the uh, tape recorder in the, in the laboratory. Elizabeth arrives to retrieve Julia Oh, you know what? I did miss a little bit here. Man, I always get oh, things okay. mixed up. Okay, sorry. I'm a little... Okay, let me just go back a little bit. Sorry, everybody. I'm sure, sorry. Sure, sure. Okay, so before all this happens, Jeff returns to Lang's offices, and much to Barnabas's uh, outrage, but that's all he can do is just kind of humpfer and bumfer. Humph, you can't be taking things, but he, he takes his own medical records, and he reads them, and he's like, I knew it, and he leaves, and he goes and tells Vicky that Lang's notes describe him as having no homicidal tendencies. So he knows then that Lang was lying to him when he said that he was found wandering the town with with uh, particle with, with uh, strands of rope that were linked to the death of women who had been strangled in the town. And he's like, I knew he was lying to me, and that means to him it's important though because now he can be in a relationship with Vicky and not worry that he's a murderer, that he could kill her, and. So yeah, I gotta go back a bit here because this is before sure. Julia. This is before Julia tells uh, Mrs. Johnson. She tells Barnabas about the dream curse and his imminent death. So because she's kind of stokes about it, and and so Barnabas is like, "Well, then you can't tell Mrs. Johnson about your dream." And she's like, "Well, that's easier said than done." But it occurs to Julia 
that Lang may have recorded a message to her. And so she goes to the recorder, because we're talking about, uh, you know, in a kind of sort of around this, and she's kind of like, wait a second, what if he left a message for me on the, a tape recorder that was there? And she goes and she turns it on, and they just hear, like, classical music playing. And she's like, oh, forget it. And so they both leave the lab, and then Lang's voice plays. And that's what I was trying to say before. That's when he tells this thing. He says, you know, as long as, as, long as Adam is alive, Barnabas will not become a vampire. Ah. So Professor Stokes begins to investigate the dream curse. He speaks to Maggie because he traces her to being the first person who had it. He speaks to Barnabas. He wants to know who the witch is. And he feels that Barnabas knows because Barnabas got that talisman from him in the past to ward off a witch. And he's like, so I know that you know who the witch is. And Barnabas tells him that it's he suspects it's Angelique or Cassandra. Now, David returns from Boston to Collinwood. So David has come back and he has not met Cassandra yet. His dad introduces him to Cassandra and he's a little nonplussed, of course. And then Tony Peterson arrives and he confronts Cassandra, accusing her of killing Lang. And... She says, let's not talk about it here. We need to talk about it at the, as she calls it, the gazebo. <laughs> and so they meet at the uh, gazebo where she enchants Peterson and seduces him. And she, they start kissing. And as they kiss, they are seen by David, who is out playing around in the woods. And he is shocked and appalled by this behavior. Cassandra then speaks to Mrs. Johnson and she's like, why haven't you had the dream yet? Or... She's like, have you, have you not had something disturbing happen yet? And she's like, no. What do you mean? Um, nothing. Just you know, nothing's <laughs> bothering you. Maybe. Like, no, fine. Like, you haven't had a dream. She goes, well, I don't dream. She says to her, you know. And then David confronts Cassandra about seeing her kissing Tony in the gazebo, and she takes away David's voice, so he cannot speak. Like, so as I said, Julia is having a recurring nightmare, and so yes, then. We catch up to where I jumped. She has to tell Mrs. Johnson. They do the experiment. And then Elizabeth arrives to uh, get Julia because she needs to examine David. David has lost his voice, as I had as mentioned. Barnabas, of course, is waiting, the, uh, waiting dawn. Adam. So then Julia goes, and then she comes back again. And uh, they find Adam, who is, as I said, a big dumb oaf. He tries to attack Julia. Not, to be, on, to be fair, he tries to attack her because she gave him an injection. And it's hurt, okay. hurts him, and so he's angry at her for doing that. And he doesn't have like real emotions. He's like a little child, right? He doesn't have adult emotions. He has like, he has like these just reactions to things. And so they like they flee. <laughs> Barnabas and Julia go, "Let's get out of here!" And so they run out of the lab. So they go back in later, and the whole lab is just like a scene of destruction. So it's all been destroyed, and they find Adam asleep on the floor. Then Cassandra hypnotizes David. Um, he is able to speak again. But he is not able to remember what happened at the uh, at the as the aforesaid gazebo, as she as she describes it. No, everyone else calls it a gazebo. I don't know where she got this weird pronunciation. <laughs> She's only read it. She's only read it. That's a problem. Yeah. So uh, Cassandra then puts Mrs. J- Mrs. Johnson asleep because she wants her to have that dream. So Mrs. Johnson dreams. David comes to the door and leads her to the room of doors and she goes through all the doors of course skull guillotine blah 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 and hers is a room of bats all these bats crawling around and she's like ah this is terrible eek and then uh, she wakes up and she knows she has to tell david about it now oh my god julie and barnabas meanwhile bring adam to the old house and they put willie in charge of taking care of him which willie is not very happy about 
Julia learns from Mrs. Johnson that David is the next to have the dream, and Willie arrives to tell Julia that Adam escaped. Now, Adam didn't escape because he wanted to. Willie was teasing him and had a cigarette, and Adam reached out for it and burned himself, and the pain made him angry, and he ran away. So Adam is playing in the water of the Collinwood, of Collinwoods, where um, there's a fountain there, and he's playing in the water when he's discovered by Mrs. Johnson. Barnabas and Willie find Adam in the woods and return him to the old house, and they chain him in the cell so he can't escape again. But Willie starts teasing him again. He shows Adam where there's a, a secret panel in the wall. This is how um, Maggie escaped when she was originally trapped there by Barnabas. And he shows this old panel, and he find, he shows this jewelry box in there. And he's showing Adam the jewelry and sort of entertaining him with its bright glow. And then he steals a pair of earrings for Maggie. And he goes to Maggie's, or Maggie's cottage, her dad's, Sam Evans' cottage. And he sneaks into the cottage and leaves them in a jewelry box where Maggie finds them. And she puts them on, and she's kind of, she's kind of entranced by them because, as you can tell from that little ding, like she put them on and it went ding. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yes, there's a reason for that. And there are Josette's earrings. And so they're having like an effect on her. Willie is afraid of Adam and his fear makes him cruel to Adam. And I just want to point that out because there's a lot of taunting and teasing by, by Willie. And I won't always, won't always talk about it, but it's kind of an ongoing thing in the background of what's happening. Julia brings Lang's tape recorder for Adam so he can listen to music. And Adam listens, listens to the music and he hears Lang's message. Um... Now, one kind of bright thing for Adam is that Barnabas and he kind of develop a friendly relationship. Barnabas realizes that, you know, he's much like a child and he just needs to be spoken to in a way that's coaxing and friendly. And that's what he does. And he tries to help him and teach him. But he's too friendly. And so when he leaves, Adam is like missing his friend. So he breaks out of the cell to find him. And he leaves the old house. And Elizabeth, who's out for a walk on the grounds, happens upon Adam. And, you know, she's like, who are you and what are you doing here? And he, but he can't speak. You can just gesture, and he's like, uh, uh, ooh, ee, and all the stuff like that. You know what I discovered while I was through the section of the show is I don't really okay. care for I don't really care for Frankenstein monster kind of stuff. Oh, okay. I find it a little dull. I think because the character's not that compelling, all I can do is just kind of go, uh, uh. Yeah, it's people's you know, reaction to, uh, to yeah. yeah, like Angelique is sly, and she's like got a plan, and she's like trying to get Barnabas, you know, and Barnabas is entertaining because he's like sly and he's like afraid of being discovered and he's like working to like always manipulate things for his benefit and that's fun but Adam is just like a big dumb goof you know like it's you know he's just like a victim of other people um but she returns to Collinwood and finds Barnabas there with Roger and she tells them about seeing him and Roger's like well David's playing out in the woods he must be in danger so he grabs his gun and Barnabas is like I don't think you need that but he's like David's in danger and so they go out together to find Adam and find David and Adam's the one who stumbles upon David playing in the woods and he becomes fascinated with David's uh, knife that uh, Cassandra had bought for him as a way to you know make make friends with him and Adam snatches it out of his hands and when David you know remonstrates and says I want that Adam kind of grabs him and, and hurts David mm. which he didn't mean to do but then and then he picks him up you know, to to take him somewhere, and and then they're they, they're come upon by Roger and Barnabas, and across Roger is like, who is this monstrous, huge creature carrying around my son? But Barnabas coaxes Adam into putting David down, and David runs over to his father, but then Roger shoots Adam anyway. <laughs> Roger, you can always count on him for being a jerk. Anyway, so Adam, uh, an injured Adam, returns to the old house. Now Cassandra suspects a connection between Barnabas and Adam, 
And so she's 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 kind of on the prowl now. She knows that something's up. Barnabas and Julia treat Adam's gunshot wound, and then Adam listens to his music, and here's Dr. Lang again. But no one else is ever there when this happens. So it's sort of frustrating. You're like, come on, somebody walk in when this is happening, and oh, here you come, and oh, it's over. It's already playing music again. Darn it. Uh, Mrs. Johnson is having trouble resisting the urge to tell David of her dream. She was supposed to go to Boston, but she didn't. She comes and tells Julia at the old house that she is, has, was unable to leave, and she is, has to tell David about this dream. And and um, Julia's like, no, go back to Collinwood, and I, I'll come and talk to you. And then what she doesn't know is that is that David arrives just when Mrs. Johnson's leaving, and so... And so now Mrs. Johnson knows where David is. And when David leaves, Mrs. Johnson's hiding outside the door. And she tells him of the dream. Uh, now Maggie is uh, being strangely influenced by the earrings that she got from from uh, Willie. And uh, her boyfriend, whose name I can't remember because I didn't write it down, because I thought I would remember all after all this time of talking about these people. Uh, he went into town to figure out, he took one of the earrings to a jeweler to figure out what's going on. Like, he's like, where did this come from? And why is she acting so strangely? But he takes it there. He discovers, he can't find out who owned it, but he discovers that it's it's valued at $15,000. So it's clearly not hers. Somehow got into her jewelry box, but they don't know how. But she's not happy about this because she is in love with these these earrings. And she also thinks that her boyfriend is now a bit of a, a stiff because, you know, she's a she's an aristocrat. She's a, she's a Josette. And she's feels strangely compelled now to visit the old house and she meets Willie there and he tells her that he wants to be friends with her. And at first she's kind of like, what? I have, what about my boyfriend? And she's like, who's David can't remember his name. You know, that guy. And, and Willie's like, no, I don't mean like that kind of friend. I mean like this, we can be friends. And she's like, oh, okay, I guess that's all right. So then she leaves and then Willie, who's been playing around with this rifle for quite a while. So I didn't really bring it up because it's not been really important to anything. But now he like takes out the rifle and he's like, says the boyfriend's name, whose name I can't remember. And he, she, and he shoots the rifle, like he pulls the trigger on the rifle and he's like, you know, we can be friends or whatever. And click, shoots the gun. So, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, now he wants to kill that guy. But like, I remember his name. Um, let me just turn the page here. So, David has the dream. And this time it is Willie at the door. Dun, dun, dun. And David goes, of course, through the stages of all the doors. And the, his door, when he opens it, he is trapped in a giant web and uh, which, of course, he is stuck in. Oh, so stuck. Look look at that actor who's pressing against that web. Oh, he cannot get out of it. <laughs> and then there's like a large toy spider above him, you know, and it does not uh, move again. It's not moving freak. at all. It's just there. <laughs> still would freak me out as a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's still Wouldn't like that at all. Yeah. Like but what's nice, though, is that Mrs. Johnson, even though she told him the dream, she like stays at, by his, at his bedside. So when he wakes up, terrified, she's there to comfort him. So... You know, I think that's pretty... I know she couldn't help herself. I'm not going to blame her for telling him. You know, obviously it's part of the curse that you cannot resist telling the person, that the next person in the thing. But at least she was there to, like, comfort him when he woke up. And then David immediately tells Willie about the dream. And Willie tells Barnabas. And Barnabas is like, oh boy, it's getting closer to me, isn't it? And Barnabas is thinking, he's like, well, how can I get out of this? And then he goes, he starts thinking about the painting, the portrait of Angelique. And he starts thinking, I wonder if there's a connection... Because all the trouble started when that portrait arrived, right? And I, because Vicky bought it at an antique store, and he's like, "I wonder if, I wonder if there's a connection between her and that portrait." Now, <laughs> once again, like I said before, Adam is downstairs listening to Doctor Lang tell tell this thing, so he's learning about his, this connection, mm. whether Barnabas knows it or not. Because Barnabas comes downstairs, and of course, when Barnabas comes down, the music starts in. So he arrives. He has no idea that this of this this message. 
but Bern, but Adam starts to repeat it to him in a very kind of incoherent way that Barnabas doesn't understand, but he just says, you know, two must live or something like that. And Barnabas is like, yeah, cool. But he's more like, how did you learn these words? Because I've not said them to you. Where did you hear them? So he's confused. And uh, while he's talking to Adam, Willie arrives. He has stolen the portrait of Angelique from, from Collingwood. And Barnabas takes the portrait and he brings it to Sam Evans. And he commissions Sam. Sam is the painter. I don't remember Sam Evans, everybody. He painted the... He's the father of Maggie Evans, who, who Barnabas tried to turn into Josette a long time ago while Sam was painting his portrait, which I thought was ungrateful. You don't, you don't do that to someone painting your portrait. <laughs> Very rude. Totally rude. Yeah. So Barnabas commissions Sam to paint on the portrait of Angelique, and he wants him to age it. He wants Sam to paint crow lines around the eyes and wrinkles around <laughs> the mouth and wrinkles on the neck. And he wants him to begin at exactly 10.15, he tells so Barnabas arranges to meet with Cassandra at 10.15. And so she arrives. And of course, he treats her like she's Angelique, which I don't think is a mistake. So you're giving away the game, but uh, it's too late for me. I cannot give him advice. And once again, as I said, my earlier advice still stands. Do not tell the witch what you're doing. <laughs> that is a mistake to tell witches your plans. So she comes, he gloats. And while she's there, she begins to physically feel... The brush scraping on her face of Sam is painting the portrait. Ah. And she begins to age. And Barnabas makes her look at her hands. And her hands are those of an old crone. Wrinkly old Ooh. hands. Just like mine. I'm looking at right now. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm painting on your uh, picture. <laughs> well, that's when, a problem. When you sent me for the van capsule, I'm drawing on right <laughs> God damn it. I was talking about that earlier when you were gone, actually. <laughs> um, so, um, yes. Then we... We cut to a hooded Cassandra meeting with Tony Peterson, the lawyer, who is, of course, in her thrall. And he's like, why are you wearing that hood? What's going on here? I don't want to talk to someone like, who looks like a monk. And she, she pulls it down and reveals an old woman. And she says, and he's like, what's happened? This response, basically. What the hell is going on here? And she makes Tony reveal Sam's name. She's like, Sam Evans, he's the one. But then, while they're talking, an angry Carolyn comes upon them and says, well, this is rather comfortable looking. What are you two canoodling about here? And she's angry at Tony. And Tony tries to explain his complicated feelings for Cassandra, because he doesn't understand them either. He's like, I cannot stop what I'm doing to help her. Like, she is making me do it, but I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And Carolyn's like, yeah, because you're in love with her. And he's like, no, no, it's not that. She goes, I know how you're feeling, Tony. She storms (laughs) off, you know. So an aged Cassandra visits Sam Evans. And she tr- she says the portrait is hers, and she tries to take it. And he's like, "This is not your portrait. This is uh, Barnabas's portrait. You know, Barnabas brought this here." And she's like, "She's like, no, it's mine." And he's like, he refuses to give it to her. So she casts a spell, and she blinds Sam Evans. And while he's ro- you know walking around the room, walking the furniture, she sneaks in and takes the painting. Um, Barnabas then discovers Willie teasing Adam with a diamond bracelet. He's and. Barnabas notices that Josette's earrings have disappeared from the jewelry box. And he, of course, accuses William. But he's like, I didn't do it. Must have been Adam. He's like, Adam's not going to take ju- earrings. You're the one who's going to take them. And he's like, no, it wasn't me. And so so that's going on. There's a few subplots that seem to be kind of getting in, getting built up here. Like some some have not been developed. Like, you know, I don't know if people remember, but a long a couple of shows ago, I was talking about Mrs. Johnson's uh, ex-jailbird son arriving at, at Collinwood. We have not seen hide nor hair of that character since he first arrived, so it's kind of cu- curious. I don't know what he's doing. Sleeping, I guess. Um, but uh, 
then it, word arrives. I guess um, Maggie must come and t- tell Barnabas that her father's been blinded. And so they go to the cottage where Julia examines Sam's eyes and tells Barnabas, not to, not in front of Maggie, but she kind of prevaricates in front of Maggie, but she tells Barnabas that Sam has been permanently blinded by no. Cassandra. And Barnabas blames himself and saying, why do I keep involving other people in this? Because they only get hurt. Um, they, when they return to the old house, so they discover that uh, in, they're in the midst of Adam attacking Willie because they don't know that Willie was has been you know has been relentlessly teasing Adam and finally Adam reached the breaking point and chases after Willie and he's attacking him and Barnabas comes upon this and he hits Adam with his cane to to keep to get him off of, of Willie and when Willie runs away and a really good choice by the actor when he he runs away like a coward and he goes up the stairs golem like on all fours which I really liked I thought that was a good oh, cool. uh, a good kind of like little character thing you know like he's such a sk- sk- scampering, slimy creature, you know, he's going to go up all the stairs on all four. Um, but Adam attacks Barnabas and starts strangling him. And Julia is able to pre- stop him finally, and he releases Barnabas. Barnabas just falls to the floor unconscious. And Adam leaves the leaves the old house, and he's completely distraught. He's crying, and and uh, but when Barnabas awakes, he decides that he he must kill Adam. There's no mm-hmm. good. It's no good. He's too much of a loose, you know, he's too much of a, of a Loose cannon. He's gonna, he's gonna, you know, draw attention to Barnabas, and he can't have that. So then, um, Carolyn tells her mother Elizabeth about Tony and Cassandra, and Elizabeth is like, first she's like, "Oh, you must be mistaken," and she's like, "Don't tell me I'm mistaken. I don't want to listen, hear that. I know exactly what I saw, and Tony admitted to me. So do not gaslight me, mother, with this kind of garbage about you're seeing things. You know, so I thought it was a good, good scene, and." And then uh, Adam comes into the old house, scaring Carolyn, and kind of, kind of like, I don't want to say chases, but he kind of like, kind of um, forces the, the the two women, Elizabeth and Carolyn, back into their into their living room, their drawing room, whatever. And he's kind of just gesturing to them, and they're like, he's trying to say something, but we don't know why, because he can just go uh uh and gesture, you know. And so then Barnabas arrives, and with a gun, and he wants to kill Adam, and Adam. Adam grabs Carolyn and kind of uses her to screen himself and he car- carries her away from the house. And so then Julia has to phone the police, but Elizabeth is very suspicious. She thinks that there's some kind of connection between Barnabas and and Barnabas and and Adam. And I forgot to mention that when they ran into each other in the woods, when Elizabeth ran into him, Barnabas, or Adam said Barnabas's name. And so she's like, how do you know Barnabas? And of course he, he kind of got excited or whatever and kind of scared her off. But um, yeah, so she's like, hmm, this is very strange This that, you know, he arrives, Barnabas comes, he said Barnabas's name, what's going on here? No, Adam brings, uh, oh, sorry, Elizabeth goes to question Willie. And just before she arrives, Willie has a confrontation with Adam, who has brought Carolyn there, because that's where he wants to go to the old house. That's his sort of place that he knows. But when he gets there, Willie uses this gun to try to stop Adam from, from leaving, because he wants to capture him. And Adam just sort of knocks Willie down and, and leaves. And so Elizabeth comes upon a, you know, Willie. And so she knows that Adam was there. But she, so she questions Willie about the connection to Adam and Barnabas and what's going on. And Willie lets slip that his name is Adam. So he mm-hmm. kind of in, indicates that he, he knows. So then Adam brings Carolyn to an old abandoned place. We learn later on that it's a root cellar. I thought it was like a hut or whatever, but we, it's apparently a root cellar. So he tries to comfort her, but of course she's not having any of that. Willie has the dream, despite trying to stay awake. And in the dream, Carolyn guides him to the room of doors. Uh-huh. And uh, 
in his case, he opens the door to a snarling wolf's head, which <laughs> I feel so sorry for the prop person for this show. Because, you know, you're kind of like, we need a spider. Okay. We need a wolf. A wolf? Oh, my God. Um, How about a taxidermied wolf's head? We'll just kind of have just the head showing. Oh, that's good enough. Fine. We'll have snarling noises. Will that work? Yeah, good enough. So that's what he sees. This wolf's head in a door going, rawr, rawr. Now, Julia is, of course, worried. She's trying to prevent the dream from spreading, so she tries to hypnotize Willie into forgetting the dream. But as he's in this trance state, he has a vision of Carolyn trapped in the root cellar, and he says she's underground. And unfortunately for Julia and for Willie, and I guess everyone who's involved in this dream curse, the dream, she cannot uh, hypnotize Willie out of remembering, of forgetting the dream. He cannot forget it. So Adam leaves Carolyn in the old hut, and he blocks the door with a rock, and he is captured by the police. So the sheriff, uh, he suspects a connection between Barnabas and Adam, and he goes to the old house and he questions Julius and 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 Willie. But Adam, uh, Barnabas isn't there. But Carolyn wakes up to find herself trapped in an abandoned in this abandoned place, this root cellar, and she can't get out because Adam has locked the door. But Adam is now in jail, so she's trapped in the root cellar. And Elizabeth and Vicky go to visit Adam in jail, and because they want to question him, but of course he can't really tell much. But they just witness this mean deputy who bullies them and Adam. What's really great is that Elizabeth like pulls out the uh, Collins, you know, uh, don't talk to me like that. I'll tell, you know, I'll talk to the sheriff, and you'll get what for, and you know, blah blah blah. And so the, and then uh, Adam, he like he said, he tries to communicate with them, but he can't. But Elizabeth confides her suspicions to Vicky. Um, she mentions. And she mentions the note from from Barnabas that said that his nephew Adam was going to come, and then this other Adam appears. It's a kind of weird coincidence. And Vicky's, and then Vicky and Elizabeth discuss Cassandra, because Vicky kind of had it out just before uh, she had this conversation with Elizabeth, and they both, and she says, "I kind of feel bad about Cassandra. I have not trusted her since she came here, but she, you know, maybe she left the room crying when, when you know, I, when I, you know, when, when she said, you know, feeling that I didn't like her." And, and Elizabeth says, yeah, you're not wrong. I don't trust her either. Now, back at the jail, the bullying deputy begins beating Adam with his nightstick. But Adam turns the tables and overpowers him. But rather than escaping through the door, he bends the bars of the window and he escapes that way. And the police search the Collins estate for Adam. And the sheriff arrives at the old house to question Barnabas. And he is dead serious. He's not having anything. He's not taking any kind of prevaricating from Barnabas. Adam returns to a despairing Carolyn. And she attempts to escape, but Adam captures her. But the police hear the commotion. And they chase Adam off from the root cellar. And then Barnabas is saved from his, his uh, grilling uh, by the arrival of a deputy who tells the sheriff that they are hot on Adam's trail. So both, both Barnabas and the sheriff head off in, in pursuit with the police. Adam has carried Carolyn to Widow's Hill. I don't know if everyone remembers Widow's Hill. That was where uh, originally Aunt, um, uh, Aunt Elizabeth went there. She was going to kill herself while she was being blackmailed into, mar- into marriage by, by Jason. And uh-huh. then later on, we saw Josette uh, fall to her death there when, when Barnabas uh, tried to have her changed, was going to change her into a, into a vampire. Uh, so they come there. Adam comes rise there with Carolyn, and she, of course, begs to be put down, and he lets, sets her down, but too close to the edge, and she falls from the she falls from the edge of the cliff, but she's able to stop herself by grabbing the, the ledge, and uh, Adam grabs her arms just as the police and Barnabas arrive, but they can't interfere because you know he's holding he's holding uh, uh, Carolyn, you know, like just he's the reason she's not going to fall to her death. So uh, he's able to pull her to safety, and she runs into Barnabas's arms. 
But faced with the police brandishing their weapons, Adam leaps from Widow's Hill down to the rocks below. And as we watch the waves crash onto the rocks, we hear Dr. Lang's voice. And I'll just tell you what he said. He says, Julia, sure. Julia, when you, when you do the experiment again, if both Barnabas and my creation live, if they live, if they both live, Barnabas, <laughs> Barnabas will be free and healthy as long as Adam lives. Adam will drain Barnabas' affliction from him, but, I must turn the page, sorry, but will not suffer from the disease itself because he lives. But if Adam dies, Barnabas Collins will be as he was before. And that's how, ah. that's how we end this episode of Dork Shadows. <laughs> what do you think Barnabas wants more than anything? What's his, what's his end game? What's his end game? Well, I think, well, I mean, his original end game was to have Josette back. Right. It was to recreate Josette. But I think that's not his plan. Now he wants Vicky. Hmm. But he wants Vicky to come to him willingly, you know, and that's why Jeff has got in the way of that. I'm just going to take a sip of water. I know he's, uh, I know he's uh, not a popular guy right now, uh, but uh, it's, Joss Whedon never talk about Dark Shadows? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know how much older he is than I am. Mm-hmm. Like, it's possible that as a young man, like a young kid, he might have been young enough to, um, you know, let's say he's five years older than me. <clears throat> he would have been 11. He would have been 10 or 11 when the final years of... of Jeopardy or Dark, or sorry, Dark, I always want, I always call it Dark Jeopardy. I don't know why. Dark Shadows was on TV, so you know he would have been aware of it. You know, mm-hmm. so that might you know, but I don't know. He wouldn't. I don't think he would have been old. I don't know how old he is, so I can't say for sure. But um, I mean, I think he's a little older than I am. But I don't know if he's like significantly older than me or what. But yeah, it's uh, possible that he was influenced by. You're just thinking that you're just wondering if there's a connection between the Adam and the Adam of. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. wanted, well, no, not necessarily that. I mean, that seems like a little bit of a tip of the cap. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just want to wonder, like, if you're if you're a person who's putting together a vampire TV series, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you might want to watch the longest running vampire TV series that ever existed before then. <laughs> you know, I, think I guess that's yeah. the only yeah. one, unless you're counting mm-hmm. monsters. You know, which you're not. You're clearly not counting the monsters. Yeah. It stars Dracula. Um, yeah. It just seems that's the only thing that came before it that was like similar. Yeah, uh, and I kind of wonder. I mean, I I I don't think they're there quite yet, but I I wonder if the show will kind of humanize Barnabas in a in a way that happened with Spike on on Buffy, where Spike started off as a villain and slowly became more than any other character in the show went through the biggest transformation. Oh, for sure, yeah, and and also went through like a redemption. You know, like Angel never went through a redemption. Really? Well, because it wasn't really his fault. No, but you know what I mean. Like he still they gave him, a, they gave him an out, whereas yeah, uh, yeah. But he still did all these evil things, and then he kind of gets that out, and then you're like, and then he's evil again. Like an angel as well. He went through an yeah. evil phase as well, where he, you know, he did a lot of bad stuff, and then he gets that out again. And you're, whereas you know, but Spike, um, you know, he was not, he wasn't like cursed by the gypsies or anything like that. He was he just of his own through his own like will. He went through like this moral change, and even went and you know went through some sort of painful, horrible, painful process of having his soul reinstated, and then came you know came back again you know and declared his love for for Buffy, which of course was went unreciprocated. But you know he, you know he went through all this 
this huge arc of, of redemption, which, you know, is like of any other character in the show, I think he had like the most, the, the most and deepest arc, which is kind of interesting because he just started off as like a comedy character. And then he went through the, you know, his character grew over time and became something much bigger than he was when he started with the show. And I'm, I'm curious if something like that will happen with Barnabas's character. I don't know. I don't know the history of the show necessarily. So, so I'm kind of curious how long this, how long he's the villain and whether that kind of becomes more sympathetic or, you know, I just don't know. I don't know the, the character that long. So yeah, so it's kind tricky. of a curious thing. It's tricky too, because, you know, you've got to, with a villain, give them some comeuppance, but you can't obviously kill him. Yeah. So yeah. Like, what do you do? Like how much comeuppance do you give? And sure. Then sure. It and then, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, is his comeuppance here a return to his uh, vampire state? I mean, that would be obviously devastating to him because, you know, that's, you know, like he, he'd rather be dead. Like he, you know, but once you're in that state, your personality changes, right? It's yeah. okay for him as human Barnabas to want to die rather than be a vampire. But that's going to be difficult for him as vampire Barnabas to not want to be a vampire because your moral compass has now changed, you know, and, you know, he says that uh, in the, in the, past sequences when he when he becomes a vampire he says you know old barnabas wouldn't have done this to you ben but i'm not that person anymore you know so yeah it's uh it's an interesting conundrum because in a way there is an out for that character as well he's a cursed character his choice isn't to be a vampire he didn't willingly become a vampire he became a vampire through the act of someone who has betrayed him over and over again you know you know that he didn't know about you know this uh, angelique who's acted against everyone's interests over and over again, she's the one who really deserves a terrible comeuppance. But at the same time, in that comic book way, you don't want to destroy this character. She's so, such a rich font of of evil and of intrigue that you want her to continue on. You know, yeah, so, this is the trick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. really interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm really curious what's going to happen next. I when when they when that uh, part of the story started with uh, Barnabas bringing the portrait of her to, to Ben or to Sam Evans. That that really, uh, I just I had a good grin at that. I thought that was a great idea for her to do this sort of reverse Dorian Gray, where you know you age the portrait and then ages the the person. I thought that was a pretty great idea. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's unfortunate that it resulted in Sam being blinded. I hope that's not a permanent situation. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, at least until it uh, annoys the actor too much. And, uh, and I, uh... Well, yeah, I, I because I had because I've gone through the cast list a couple times out sort of curiosity. Because I did, I did tell you, didn't I? Maybe I didn't, but the Tony Peterson character, I don't think I told you, I told someone at work. The Tony Peterson character, or the actor who played Tony Peterson, played Humphrey Bogart and played again Sam on stage and in the movie. Oh, neat. In the Woody Allen uh, play and then film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So because I, I was reading about, I don't know, I was looking at something and they showed an image of that actor as the Humphrey Bogart character. And I was like, what? That looks like Tony Peterson from Dark Shadows. So then I looked him up and I went, it was Tony Peterson. So yeah, <laughs> from my dark, because I went and so I looked at the cast list. So I noticed in the Sam Evans one that there is a different actor playing Sam Evans. So I wonder, yeah, if maybe the actors look kind of like, well, I don't want to play a blind character. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it was a, yeah, as usual, like, you know, like, Angelique is so terrible. Cassandra slash Angelique is so terrible. Like nothing can befall her that you don't, you just don't like revel in, you know, like, like some, you know, some situations you might be like, oh, this is terrible. He's aging her and turning into this old woman. That's awful. But she is so like, so dark and horrible. I mean, she's, she's like made a young boy dumb, you know, like she took away David's voice, you know, like there's, you know, she's killed and, and tor- tormented people f- in, across 200 years here. So nothing. I mean, nothing to be fair, <laughs> so have we. Right? I mean, I mean, who are we to Yeah, who still? am I to judge? You know, I, obviously, you know, like I said, I, 
I've hunted down Jewish people in Nazi Germany. Oh my lord, we brought it back. We brought it back. Oh my god. I'm still going for that Peabody award. Oh my god. Yeah, they're gonna pee on your body. <laughs> oh my god. How about we how about we uh, go to how would you so, speaking of actually I can I can I can actually do this right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of awkwardness things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking of a question of the week, uh, and that, uh, as I said, uh, they've got a, a thing on uh, Turner Classic Movies now called Reframing, where they talk about movies that have scenes in them that uh, do not, you know, again, they deserve some context. Yeah. I'll, uh, go, uh, here's the ones that, they, that they've done so far. Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Uh, seven brides for seven brothers. Oh, what's Rope. the what's the context there? That you shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't kidnap kid- a woman and drag her off to be married. Not kidnap a woman and force her to marry you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Makes sense. Not a thing to do. Yeah. Uh, rope. I'm not sure what the thing is in rope. Don't murder people. Oh, mm, probably more than that. The four feathers. Uh, woman of the year. Guess who's coming to dinner? Which you brought up. Woman of the uh, year. What's what's the thing in that one? I don't know. I do not know. Uh, get Gunga Din. Okay, well, Gungadin, I mean, the portrayal of the, the, the quote-unquote natives is pretty uh, pretty backwards. But it is a great movie, though. Yeah. Uh, Sinbad the Sailor. Sure. I mean, it's unfair to rocks. Uh, there you go. Uh, and Skeletons. Um, the Jazz <laughs> Singer. Yeah, Minstrel Show. Yeah, there you are. Uh, the Searchers. Pretty pretty uh, down on Indians, okay. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Well, we know that's one. <laughs> yeah, Swing Time. What? The Fred Astaire movie, Swing Time? Uh, nope, from 1936. Yeah, that's a Fred Astaire movie. Is it? It's from 36? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a blackface scene in there. Oh. You know, whenever you don't remember what's wrong with something, uh, there's a minstrel scene that will show up. <laughs> yeah, maybe. There was a maybe. there was a lotto ticket ad from like the 80s uh, in Toronto that I was watching, and it was like, uh, can you believe these ads, you know, ran? And I'm watching it just going like, oh, you know, there's like it's like all these celebrities, and then you, then you get... Louis Armstrong sweating and, and mopping his brow, a cartoon of him. They're like, well, that's not that bad. Next thing, Jolson's there singing. They're like, oh, yep, there it is. There we go. That's the thing. There it is. I see it. That did good, it. Good, good, good call. Uh, I, think, I think Burgess Meredith is in that movie, too, with Fred Astaire. Oh, neat. Uh, a Stagecoach. Yep. Unfred Indians. Uh, yeah. Tarzan uh, the Ape Man. Unfred of Monkeys. Uh, My uh, Fair Lady. Unfair to Cockney people? Sure. Uh, the Children's Hour. Unfair to lesbians? I'm not sure. Uh, Psycho and Dragon Seed. Huh, so, weird. I, I mean, I, I, you know, well, uh, Children's Hour is about a, a girl who falsely accuses two teachers of, of being lesbians. Mm. It's a Lillian Hellman play. Now... I think I have read the play. I don't. I, I guess. I, I guess you put a word. I mean, maybe they maybe they speak about lesbianism in a way that's not sympathetic to it. I, I don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that if it gets brought up in a movie uh, from 1961, probably, probably it's not uh, uh, positive. I don't doubt it. Oh, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, I thought Burgess Meredith was was in Swing Time. I might be thinking of a different film. I might be thinking of a different uh, Swing movie. But Swing Time is Fred Astaire with uh, Ginger Rogers. 1935, or six, yeah, 36. Directed by George Stevens. Oh, wow, interesting. Uh, would go on to direct uh, Giant and uh, things like that. But um, in those days, he was a director of light comedies. After the after he um, he was one of the first people to enter a concentration camp. George Stevens. Oh, wow. He worked as a he was he was a working as a like filming aspects of the war uh, as part of the war effort, and it changed him. People said he never was the same person after that. Is understandably. 
Um, yeah, I could, I could, I could see that. Uh, um, so, so uh, what I'm thinking about with the uh, with, with with the question is like, what is a movie that uh, that you like that you would uh, feel you would need to reframe before you showed it to somebody now? Like, what is what is your okay? Look, you got to know about this about this, but then this. So uh, what movie do you like, but to show it to somebody now, you feel you would have to give it some context? Okay, so here's the offensive part of Swing Time. I just had to look it up because I couldn't, I couldn't resist it. Okay. There is a song in there called Bojangles of Harlem. And it is a, it is a piece that was a, started as a tribute to Bill Robinson, the famous uh, black tap dancer. But it actually broadens uh, as a tribute to... As a, Tribute to African-American tap dancers uh, by dancing in a style of a serious one-time teacher, this guy named John W. Bubbles, who was a, a black t- a tap dancer. And so he dressed in his the style of his character that was in a uh, character sport in life, who was in Porgy and Bess. So he danced in, this, in that look of that character. So obviously Porgy and Bess is an all-black cast musical. And there is some yes blackface in this as well. So there you go. That's why the unfortunate... Yeah, that's unfortunate. And and when you mentioned and when you mentioned just now the concentration camp thing, I was thinking, who did we speak of recently that helped liberate a concentration camp? And it was Charles uh, Schultz. Charles Schultz helped uh, his division help liberate uh, Dachau. Charles Schultz. I don't think I don't remember that. Yep. The Charles Schultz. Yep. Okay. The twentieth Armored Infantry Division. Uh, okay. Schultz okay. Was a staff sergeant. Uh, played a role in liberating uh, Dachau concentration camp. That's right. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. That's right. I remember that now. Well, anyway, blackface. Yeah, I think you're right. If it's not, if you don't know quite what it is, it's going to be blackface. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, the, the question of the week is: What is that, what is a movie that you think people should see, but you got to throw a little context on it uh, beforehand? What would you? What would be yeah, your reframing yeah. movie? I think that's a good idea. I, I like that. I like that uh, TCM is doing that. I think that's. Uh, because you know a movie like especially with Swing Time, I mean that wasn't meant in a in a mean spirited way. I mean it was r- truly a tribute to people that Fred Astaire thought were great oh, entertainers. Oh, you're looking for malice in a lot of but, these things. You're you not know, find it. it's yeah. a sort of unthinking um, uh, insensitivity. You know that it's more talking about the culture of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's I think it's valuable to give that give it context. You know. Yeah, and there's a line in uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers uh, that I always remember. Uh, which is uh, they're the lonely guys, and they're all like talking. The seven brothers are singing, and one of the lines is, "A man can't sleep when you sleep with sheep." <laughs> like, okay. Unf- so unfair, to, unfair to sheep. And of course, uh, Charles M. Schultz, uh, not Charles M. Schultz, uh, Doctor Seuss, you know, uh, would not, could not with a goat. So you know, very similar. That's true. And, and then uh, all you need to know about sex, but afraid to ask. The Gene Wilder character has a relationship with a sheep as well. There you go. And the movie Baba Black Sheep uh, was all about a military group that was uh, having sex with sheep. So, um, <laughs> yes. Again, needs a and, bit knocking, of and knocking batteries off each other's shoulders. That's exactly right. Uh, going, oi! No, that was a different guy. <laughs> um, so, the question of the week last week was name uh, an unappreciated actor that's a favorite of yours. And uh, also, what's a notable or not so notable or favorite movie made where you live? So uh, our friend Matt Phillips wrote us and said, uh, my hometown of Gloucester, UK, is known for its historic cathedral, construction of which began in uh, uh, 1089. Yes, 
nearly 1,000 years ago, his math checks out. Uh, several Harry Potter movies were filmed at the cathedral for the scenes in Hogwarts. Also, Sherlock, and most recently, Doctor Who, have filmed here on location. Gloucester is also known for its victory docks, uh, which most recently appeared in the opening of Tim Burton's Alice Through the Looking Glass. Swing by for a visit when you're next in the UK. I will. And I do look forward to going to the UK. Dave talked last week about mm. visiting mm-hmm. uh, the UK when, uh, you know. I must, have, uh, I must have driven through Gloucester when I was there because it's right on the border of Wales. And I, unless, unless we went up, unless Hay on Wye, which, of course, the world's largest bookstore, this is called, yeah. um, unless it's farther north. and But I'm quite certain that we, because we came through the top part of Wales and we went down and then we came out through the out kind of through the lower lower part the southern part of Wales and I think that's where Gloucester is so so I I guess we didn't I guess we were all cathedraled out by that point and didn't or didn't and, uh, us to stop and, there and do you remember the uh, the nursery rhyme about Gloucester um let me just think it it involved a doctor okay oh um no, I don't. Sorry. Okay. Well, here, here's here it is for okay. you right now. Yeah. Doctor Foster yeah. went to Gloucester. Yeah. In a shower of rain, <laughs> he stepped in a puddle right up to his muddle and never went there again or again. Yeah, that's more of that. <laughs> yes. Please, please rhyme it. Please rhyme it if you can. <laughs> if you uh, can. That's what I know about Gloucester. Yeah. Is uh, people almost drown in puddles there? People almost drown in puddles in Gloucester. All right. Uh, Louis, Louise writes. Uh, he's probably uh, underappreciated all the way to the bank, but one actor whose face comes to mind is Christopher McDonald. I say face because I had to search the credits of shows he'd been in just to find his name. Whether he's doing drama, I know who it is. Uh, whether he's doing drama or comedy, he usually plays a slick lawyer, a judge, or an arrogant jerk. Look him up and, and you'll say, oh, that guy. You might remember him as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Louise, I'm in Happy Gilmore. I know. <laughs> I, uh, I had uh, I had a little lunch with him, and I watched him lose some money to Adam Sandler in a little golfing match that they had. Oh. Uh, yeah. They put money in the hole, and whoever gets got the ball in the hole first got to get the money. And uh, he did not get the money. Wow. So uh, then there's Daryl Kwan, who is a local actor and stunt person and a former uh, student of my sister's. He's a big Asian dude, so a lot of his on-camera credits are thug bouncer, bodyguard, or hunt. Maybe he would be in some of these movies that would have a little bit of talking before. Uh, It's fun to see him beating up heroes and or getting beat up by them. Uh, The first movie, uh, which was shot in Vancouver, standing in for Seattle, that I saw in a cinema was The Changeling. Oh, that's 1980 with George C. Scott. It's a pretty scary haunted house movie, the kind that's psychological and atmospheric, but not slashery. It was one of the first big movies to shoot here and a forerunner of all the creepy films and TV series that would be shot in Hollywood North. I'd say my favorite Vancouver shot movie is Deadpool from 2016. It shows that you can have a profane and murderous superhero as long as you're aware of what a superhero isn't supposed to be like. <laughs> uh, Edward Droganski responds, I remember The Changeling, a family favorite of ours and probably the first horror movie that comes to mind when the subject arises around my dad. I'll have to mention this neat uh, tidbit of info about the film being shot in Vancouver next time I talk to him. Yeah, it is uh, it is a good, creepy, creepy uh, movie. There's a more recent uh, film that Nicole Chain, uh, Nicole Changeling, Nicole Kidman uh, film called The Changeling. I think it's just called Changeling. So don't get that one. Don't get that one. 
Yeah, the uh, 80 uh, version. And uh, the Deadpool one is always fun when you're going over that bridge from the uh, from the opening. Uh, they shut that bridge down for quite a while and annoyed people in Vancouver. And then, you know, when the movie came out, they went, oh, okay, that's fine. That's worth it. Uh, Jada Jackman writes, hey, guys. Hey, Jada Jackman. Uh, sorry I haven't been commenting. I've just been silently listening for a while. You could say I've been in the shadows. Speaking of shadows... I'd like to say to Dave that I'm really enjoying these dark shadow recaps. Uh, keep them up. Well, glad you so, enjoy them. Please keep them up, Dave. Uh, I think Jonathan was the one who was talking about the smell of gasoline, and that got me thinking about other smells uh, I like that I shouldn't. Besides gas, I think the smell of dry eraser markers and Sharpies is so good. And <laughs> the worst of all is the smell of cigarettes. Whenever oh. someone is smoking around me, it makes me want one. Blah. It's really? not helped by the fact I associate the smell with my trip to France. I'd never smoke one, uh, mostly because I know it'd be over for me as soon as I do. Uh, anyway, to talk about this week's question, I currently live in close proximity to the Philadelphia Art Museum, a.k.a. the Rocky Steps. There's actually a statue of Rocky Balboa right at the bottom. Hmm. I know the Silver Linings playbook was uh, also shot here, but I've never seen it. That's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I like uh, it. Last, lastly... Who could forget National Treasure? Though, fun fact, the Independence Hall scene was not actually shot in Philly. Hmm. And I want a Philly cheesesteak sandwich now that we're talking about Philadelphia. Just a, um, uh, just a question from Jada's comments. Is, is the reason it would be all over for you if you smoked a cigarette, are you an obsessive or a compulsive personality type, Jada, that would have trouble quitting a, an addictive habit? Just curious why you said that. I would think, I would think and I'm, my guess would be, if you like the smell that much, yeah. you're already like uh, in the tank for it. So, yeah. so just stay yeah. away. That's funny. Yeah, I cannot stand the smell of smoke. But I know like I work with a lot of people who are ex-smokers. They love the smell of smoke. If someone's smoking, they're like, oh, I love that smell so much. I'm just like, oh, it's just so repulsive to me. But I never smoked. So I guess I... Yeah, if I ever, I if I ever drink, drink, I try to avoid sweet drinks. Because I'm like, yeah, I could get into that. So I, 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 you know, I'll drink, I'll drink something like a scotch where yeah. I'll go like, this is okay, but I don't super like it. Or wine, I'll drink it and I'll be like, meh, but you know, I'm basically drinking it to be polite. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, like a free, like I'm Dave, uh, I'm Dave Foley in that girl drink drunk uh, sketch. <laughs> Which I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. Yeah. I watched the other day and went like, oh, a good friend of mine's in that sketch. My friend uh, Jane Luke's in that sketch, and she's all over that sketch, and I I, did, I didn't know that. Oh, cool! And it was shocking to see. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's uh, she's there. Um, uh, Edward uh, Draganzi, speaking of Edward from a little earlier, right? And by the way, does this mean things are over for the for for the comments? No, it doesn't. Uh, I find that my favorite underappreciated acting roles come from comedians who are cast in serious or dramatic roles. Good call. Uh, Many have made uh, famously made careers out of the transition of comedy to drama, like Robin Williams or Bill Murray. As you guys were recently discussing a few weeks back, when I saw Adam Sandler years ago in Punch Drunk Love, directed by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I couldn't believe how great his performance was. Uh, not being much of a fan of Sandler's comedy films, I saw him in an entirely different light. Sandler plays a lonely entrepreneur who longs to be with someone, but due to the interference of his seven overbearing sisters, he finds himself prone to fits of anger and social anxiety. By accident, Sandler meets Emily Watson and will do anything to further their relationship. Philip Seymour Hoffman is also outstanding as an extortionist trying to blackmail Sandler who falls victim to a phony sex scam. Then I watched recently Uncut Gems, 
another series breakaway from Sandler, and I was astonished once again. <laughs> I'd like to see more roles like this from Sandler. A little side note about Adam Sandler, one of my co-workers lives in L.A. We rolled her two girls in the same school Sandler's children were at. She told me whenever there was a play or some kind of assembly where the kids performed, uh, Sandler would have his production crew professionally film the event and make DVDs for all the families. A nice goodwill story about Mr. Sandler. Very good. And then he'd sell them DVD players. because No one still has those. Um, there was uh, also a television series called Damages. Yeah. About 14 years ago, starring Lynn Close. Close played a conniving lawyer who stopped at nothing to win in court and brought everyone down to her level. It was a rather unsettling drama with a little redeeming uh, outcome, but the performances were great. Every season uh, featured a comedian who co-starred in a dramatic role opposite Close. Ted Danson was in seasons one and two as a corrupt billionaire. Lily Tomlin and Martin Short were in season two as a rich family matriarch and her corrupt lawyer. And John Goodman was in season four as a military contractor in a wrongful death suit. All comedians in some very serious roles. Don't know if John Goodman's a comedian, but I get what you're saying. Um, the series had more than its share of stellar performances made by a huge cast of actors. As evil as the law plots were, it sure was an interesting show to watch. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt this and go like, uh, you know who was good in a show called Wise Guy that shot in Vancouver was um, uh, Jerry Lewis. Played one of the big bad guys in okay. that. Did a really good job. And it was one of the first roles. Again, we're talking about people that mm, have fallen out of favor. But uh, Kevin Spacey was also on it and did a very good job. Huh. Um, I grew up in the small town. Continuing, uh, I grew up in the small town of Mesquite, just out of uh, Dallas. Uh, the closest thing to a community center was the town East Mall. It was the one everyone went to hunt and hung out at. Years later. Uh, Town East would come to be the first location of the Lone Star Comics I worked at, only to be moved to a strip mall across town. Back in 1978, Town East Mall was a filming location for Ron Howard's first made-for-TV movie, Cotton Candy. Cotton Candy was actually the name of a high school band and star of Charles Mar Martin Smith as the band's leader. I know, he barely passed for a team in American Graffiti years earlier. The story is simple. There was a high school rivalry between Cotton Candy and the more famous uh, bad boy band, oh, bad boy bands, Rapid Fire, who are evil bullies. <laughs> Townie Small, that became the venue where the bands faced off in a spectacular competition. When Howard shot the con Cotton Candy at Townie Small, everyone was encouraged to go watch so we could be the crowd that was gathering to watch this band competition for the film. And we really didn't know what was going on at the time. We just followed Howard's direction and cheered when he told us to cheer for the evil bad boy band. I'll restrain myself from adding any links because the film is really bad and you can search at your own risk if you are so inclined. <laughs> the reason they picked Townie Small was because it was a mall in a large circular building with a large open area and a high ceiling in the center for car shows, art shows, other assemblies. And yes, Clint Howard, brother of Ron, was there as well. It wouldn't be a Ron Howard film without him. True. They used to have a movie called Just the Clint, and it's just all the Clint scenes. Um, <laughs> Laurel Robertson responds, Hey, Ed, my husband and I watched all of Damages too. Haven't run into anyone before who's seen it, other than my sister-in-law who gave us the DVD set. It was a cool series, wasn't it? And all those guest stars were wonderful. I'm glad to read your take on it. Thanks for that. Uh, and Edward uh, replies, I just have to add that by the time I uh, hear you re read this, I will be fully vaccinated. Woo! -hoo! I get my second vaccination tomorrow by on April 1st, 
And that's no April Fool. Let's hope it is not. Let's hope it is not. <laughs> uh, I'm glad. And congratulations on the vaccination. Well done. Um, Mick Elliott writes, once upon a time. Oh, that's how you start. Before Fox opened a movie uh, studio in Sydney in the hope of luring Hollywood here, the only significant international movie that had been shot in Sydney was the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, an utter stinkeroo from the early 90s. I may know the writer for that. He's very nice. Uh, there was uh, much excitement and local pride when Lucasfilm announced that the second and third chapter in the Star Wars prequels would be filmed here in Sydney. And then the movies came out. And then there was no more excitement or pride. <laughs> but we are lucky to be doing okay with our COVID management, touch wood, which has unexpectedly resulted in quite a few films that are shooting here now. So hopefully there are some good ones to come. Time will tell. Really glad to hear that, Mick. Stay healthy. Yes. Um, yeah, everyone, get vaccinated if you can. Uh, Dave's going to do it. Everyone's doing it. All the cool kids are doing it. I'm not doing it yet, but hopefully in a month. That's when I think uh, I'm up. Uh, I have found out where they're taking place in my neighborhood. It's an easy walk. So I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get a hot chocolate afterwards. i got a plan. Uh, Laurel Robertson writes, Hello to you, Ian and David, and all the sinkers out there. I could not think of an answer to the first question. I'll keep mulling that one over. Very good. Meanwhile, I will answer the sub-question. Also very good. In 1982, a movie was filmed in Buffalo, Wyoming, where I was living for a couple of years. The movie is called Endangered Species and stars Robert Urich of Spencer for Hire fame. Hoyt Axton, singer-songwriter of Joy to the World, popularized by Three Dog Night among others, and Joe Beth Williams, Paul Dooley, and Peter Coyote. Before the film, band, Paul Dooley was in a lot of stuff. Holy moly. <laughs> uh, before the film crew arrived in our little town, all the Main Street signs, such as those pointing towards uh, Wyoming highways, were changed to Colorado signs. That's, that's where the story takes place. Also, they parked cars along the main, uh, along Maine with only Colorado license tags. Something I like whenever they shoot stuff in Vancouver. Uh, get rid of those uh, mailboxes. Get the American mailboxes in. Um, my apartment was upstairs in an old building on Main Street. I could watch some of the filming out the window of the laundry room down the hall from my rooms. Robert Urich and Paul Dooley walking up and down the street over and over. As I recall, recall, recall <laughs> Mr. Urich kept a pack of cigarettes on the back bumper of a car parked at their starting position. Oh, you dog. Uh, so he could grab a smoke between takes. At the time I worked downstairs, at Saney's uh, Rexall Drug, and the owner pharmacist, Ralph Saney, was a very sweet guy. He would send me and my teenage co-workers running off at slow times in the store to watch filming in front of the courthouse one block over and other parts of Main Street. Good for Ralph. In one scene, Hoyt Axton had to come tumbling down a set of outside steps of an old wooden building, all no bloody-nosed and upset. We watched that over and over and at the end, I approached Mr. Axton for a picture and autograph. He was very gracious, and I even got a little fake blood smeared on the paper as he scratched out his name. You think it was fake? Do a DNA test. <laughs> I've only seen uh, the movie once and was not impressed, but it still gets fairly good reviews on IMDb, so maybe I'll give it another try. Having a shot in Buffalo was, uh, was all a fun experience for the whole town. Uh, take care, dear David and dear Ian. And all have a wonderful week. You too, Laurel. Thank you, Laurel. You too. Thank you, Laurel. Yeah, I have a sip of water myself. Mm. You sip away like a hummingbird. 
Yeah, and take a take a smoke from my secret smokes. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Oh, I got fake blood all everywhere. <laughs> I don't know why I had to drive that car into the office in order to hide it on the bumper, but okay. <laughs> Chris Roberts writes, both my sons have appeared briefly in movies shot in the Highlands. Uh, Jacob was a footman oh. helping to serve a picnic to Queen Victoria, Judy Dench, and Stephen Frears, Victoria, and Abdul. Uh, the midges were fierce that day, my friends. Oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, Hamish just happened to be busking in the center of Inverness. 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 I knew that and for some reason could not say it. When location scenes were shot for an independent production called Eddie. And he wound I think up it's, in, I think it's Edie because it's just one D. Okay, I did not know that. And, he, and wound up in the finished film. Neither movie is a classic, to be honest, uh, but they're both okay. One favorite film that was uh, shot partly around here is Billy Wilder's The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. Which made good use of Urquhart, Urquhart, uh, Ur- Castle on Just- Loch Ness. Saying <laughs> Loch Ness, right? Just Urquhart. Yeah, I had a teacher whose name was Urquhart when I was in college, and initially very confused. Luckily, he told us his name, so I could nice. stop, stop saying Urquhart. I uh, the first film I ever did, I was I think thirteen, and it was a uh, it was for BC Hydro, our hydro company in town. Mm-hmm. It was called Live Wire. And I was a punk kid who, uh, we made other punk kids. Oh, typecasting. Uh, we up, yeah, we went up to a little power uh, power station thing. It was near, uh, Dave, remember the mall that uh, had the big scoop in it in North Delta? Yep. That mall? Yep. Okay. So, um, Don't ask me the name of it, but I do remember that, that mall. Uh, before the, yeah, was it, it was like. It was was it that, Nordell Place? I, I don't I don't remember, <laughs> but uh, if at the end of the mall, there was a, a, a power box that was there oh. with little vents in it. And, uh, and so me and uh, the other punks, but especially <laughs> me, uh, we, took a, we took a coat hanger and we're jamming it in there, jamming it in there. And then a police officer comes and goes, hey, don't do that. You could get electrocuted. I'm like, oh, okay. And then we stop. And <laughs> that's, my, that's my role. And there's other scenes where people are doing other electronic uh, dumb things. But... Uh, so, so when I'm doing this, uh, and we asked before, like, uh, oh, so are they, how, are they turning off the power? Oh, we can't turn off the power. The mall is powered, uh, by this. So we can't do that. Okay. So how are we doing this? Oh, you just poke it. <laughs> it's like, is that safe? Yeah, it's pretty safe. Pretty yeah, safe. Okay, so, anyway. so don't do this thing that will either have no effect or, <laughs> you know what? Maybe we'll get a scene with this kid just blowing up. <laughs> We can't afford the special effects. Perfect. Yeah. So I've been, I, and I did get to see it once. I went to a screening of it once. It's a oh, short film. It's okay. one of these safety movies yeah, that yeah. you know you show in schools or whatever. Uh, but I can't find it online anywhere. So if anyone finds a movie, BC Hydro, uh, called Live Wire, I believe it's two words. Uh, I'm in there as a little kid, cool. um, uh, or a teen, a young, young, young teen. Um, Crystal. Oh, Crystal wrote us again. Yay. Hey, we thought she wouldn't, but she did. Yay. Uh, Crystal, welcome back. Uh, I enjoyed this week's banter about the royal family. The jokes about Her Majesty's line of homemade products were uh, pretty funny. Since I have read that Prince Charles has a line of royal estate products, honey, jams, etc. I guess, you know, any jelly he made would be royal jelly. Indeed. Uh, They're produced off the High Grove estate. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you. Oh, geez. Really turned the tables on us, huh? 
<laughs> Usually this time we ask the questions. Mm. Um, uh, hey, Dave, you could do it as your Nazi. Uh, he asked the questions here. <laughs> what? I you didn't, know. didn't say it was a Nazi. Nazi now? <laughs> uh, Dave likes being a Nazi. Anyway, uh, mm. what locales, places in England, would you recommend to a first-time visitor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what places, sites, do you think are overrated and not worth investing the time to visit? My general rule would be uh, walk around. Go to London and walk around. Everything is surprisingly close. Walk from park to park. And as you walk from park to park, you will probably stumble upon things like uh, Buckingham Palace Mm. or the National Portrait Gallery or all these amazing uh, buildings that are all, you know, you can't go into, obviously, uh, you know, that uh, the the Buckingham Palace. But most of these places you can go into there, you know, walk around. But I would say I would say just walk, just go without much of a plan. And walk around. And the nice thing is, because of the, um, the the rail system there, and by rail I mean their subway system, and by that I mean, what do they call the subway system there? The tube. The tube. Or the you underground, get, the metro. You get back no, the metro is wherever right? you're staying. Yeah, you'll be able to get back quite easily to wherever you're staying. So my, my take would be walk around London and just see a bunch of stuff. And just go, go surprise yourself without too much of a plan. But uh, how about you, Dave? What do you think? Hmm. Um, well, <laughs> I have been I have been all over England, up and down. So except for the south, I've only been there once. I went to Dover and went to France from there. So um, things I think are over. I don't I don't think I've ever been anywhere that I thought was like, oh, this wasn't worth it. Everywhere, everywhere I've gone, I've pretty much been been interesting or, or fun to go to. Yeah, same. Um, I think. I don't know. Oh, the, the things I've like, don't go to the movies. They're too expensive. <laughs> the things that. I have done that, that I like the most are kind of these sort of like weird, like kind of unexpected things. Like when we were in, um, when we were visiting, it's a small town, Bewley, which is near Inverness, actually, I think. Um, we That's where Lisa had an aunt and uncle who lived there for a time that had a farm there. And we were visiting. But the town of Bewley has a little, it has a little um, shop in it that sells fabric for kilts and for like okay. wool suits and things like that and like they sell to the royal family oh hoity-toity and uh but it's just a really it's like it's just so fascinating because it's like you know, step back in time it's you know it has like all this cloth on the on bolts you know and mm-hmm. like they draw and chalk on it and 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 you know it's just like so it just feels like you're just gone back a, 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 into another into another time period which i really thought that was great i if you like if you love books I would recommend like a little jaunt to Hay on Wye, which we were talking about earlier, yeah. the, the world's biggest bookstore, which is kind of fun. There is a certain amount, a, a trash element to it where it's just kind of like, let's get as many books here as we can, you know? So it's just kind of like, well, not all these books are great, folks, but there is kind of a fun, it's sort of fun to explore the town and look around. And it's situated in a very beautiful part of England that's uh, nice to drive through. Um, in terms of... Where have I? Uh, Cambridge is a really fun place to visit. I think I love. I've never been there. Oh yeah, to go there and like to pont on the the cam, the river cam, it's very fun. You can either do it as a guided thing where they'll 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 do all the hard work, or more fun, you do it and have a cold disastrous time, which is can be can be <laughs> quite fun as well. At least at least you'll have the memories of you struggling to get your boat up and down this silly river. But but that is definitely fun. I I, I think Cambridge is a very beautiful town. Personally, I prefer to Oxford. Oxford, I would put in my disappointments, actually. Oh. I thought, we went and visited Oxford, and I, I, I found it to be kind of a grubby place and not very nice, and that was right near the university. 
or the university grounds. I just thought it was kind of, I don't know, it just didn't really thrill me. Whereas Cambridge, I found a much nicer place to visit and, and uh, look around the the school and, and see things. And of course, I'm maybe a little bit biased because we were talking about the Footlights Club earlier, which was situated in Cambridge University. So perhaps that's a, a built-in bias, but it is very interesting. And you could potentially punt up the cam for quite a way. And you could go to like Grantchester Meadows, which is a Pink Floyd song because Pink Floyd were from that area. And so the, uh, the Cambridge or the Canterbury area of England. So, the, you know, um, what else has I gone that I thought was kind of interesting? Um, well, it's obviously kind of far to go, but, um, or the Orkney Islands, how, you know, it's, I we won't even recommend it. It's just a silly thing to recommend, but it is very fascinating because it has so many ancient, like kind of, um, pa- well, paleolithic sites. I think it's the place, one of the places with the oldest paleolithic, paleolithic sites on it, the Orkney Islands. It is a real dry, a hard time to get there. And we just go through it all because we, my wife has relatives there, obviously, but it is, it's well, it's well worth a look. Um, where else have we gone? I mean, I've gone everywhere in England. You name it, I've been there, except for the South for some stupid reason. But, uh, yeah, I've been to lots of different, I've been to St. Paul's Cathedral. I've been to Lincoln Cathedral. I've been to, I've been to, um, Durham. I've been to, uh, that city that has the shambles. I've driven through Yorkshire. I have gone through the Lake District. I've been to Liverpool. I've been to Wales. I have (laughs) Gone to, I've been to Edinburgh, Inverness, uh, Glasgow, been to Loch Ness, I've gone to Shetlands, and I've gone to the Orkney Islands. I've been around a lot of parts of England through the years, so so every every place is, is beautiful in its own way. And what's really nice about England, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, for Canadians in particular, because we grew up, as kids, both Ian and I grew up in a, in a very, very kind of post-colonial, you know, still kind of mm-hmm. hanging on to its British roots, Canada. But to go to England, it's it's the same, only different. And so it's a very comforting place yeah. to visit in that it's different enough that it's interesting, but it's familiar enough that it's comforting, you know? And that's that's different than going to France, which is, I love France, but it's not it's not a visit that's the way. It's, you are in a different place and you know it because the language is different. The customs are slightly different. You're not used to some of the things about it. Whereas, you know, England, it's, it's, it's kind of like going back home in a way, so... I really do yeah. like that. There's a real, there's a real comfort there. Yeah. I would also say, I mean, this is just me, but because it's my, it's my personal kind of background. Yeah. Uh, I like uh, Blackpool very much. I like uh, that yeah. Kind that's of, one place I have not gone to Blackpool, and I, that's yeah, a place I would. Yeah, uh, you know, about. it's a lot of like amusement parks and mm-hmm. arcades and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But that's when, when, when I was growing up, my dad who grew up around there, uh, more Lancashire uh, area. Um, we would go to uh, New Hampshire where they also had, you know, a boardwalk situation. Is it called New Hampshire and, or just Hampshire? What's that? Is it New Hampshire or just Hampshire? We, New Hampshire we went to. Uh, I, like, we went to New Hampshire, not in England. Oh, New I Hampshire, see. Sorry. In the, in, the, in the States. Okay, I'm sorry. In okay. the States. Yeah, yeah. Which has, yeah, uh, like a real boardwalk situation mm. when we go to arcades. So uh, there's there's that. And he went to it because it was nostalgic for him. It reminded him of his childhood. I had the reverse because I went there as a child. When I went to Blackpool, I was like, ah, this is exactly this. Also, <laughs> we were cool. a Doctor Who fans, and they, they have a Doctor Who museum there. Uh, and even though we had gone to two other Doctor Who things accidentally, <laughs> we just stumbled on huge Doctor Who exhibits everywhere we went. Uh, they had, it was the classic Doctor Who. So it was all Tom Baker stuff and, uh, mm. and John Pertwee uh, Doctor Who things. So that was, that was pretty neat. 
if you're that kind of nerd, that's it. <laughs> and I'm not accusing you of being that kind of nerd. Uh, speaking of being that kind of nerd. Oh, to say, asked, I also, also okay. agree with you. Sorry, I also agree with you that London is a, is a beautiful place to visit. And there's so much so much of value to see there. It's a, it's a really wonderful. I would also say. Beautiful uh, town. Something that I really like to do was um, I would go to the West End and uh, get discount tickets to shows. You would go to uh, the box office that's there, and then they would have half price off or better uh, tickets for shows that had not sold out that night. And if you waited around, it was like, oh, yeah, we got tickets to – yeah. and my wife uh, got to see Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen in uh, Waiting for Godot. You know, and it's like, yeah, it's playing right there across the street. Okay, bye. And off off you go. Or we saw Avenue Q, uh, a couple other shows, uh, 49, 49 Steps. Which, how many steps are there? Okay, the, uh, you know, it's based on the movie. 59 Steps, 39 Steps. No, I think you're going to be 39 Steps. I think you're right there. 39 Steps. We saw the live version of the 39 Steps. It was great. Interesting. Okay, so back to Crystal's uh, 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 post. See, you ask us a question. We're going to go away for a while. And now we're going back. <laughs> you asked about dressing up as Victoria Winters. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I took an easy look. It was an easy look to pull off as I already owned a few vintage outfits from the 1960s. I chose a navy blue dress from my collection and uh, pulled my hair back like she wore it in the early beginning episodes. Yeah. It was a rather simple dress up. And here is a photo. And she includes a photo. I did. So it was, that, it was a very, very fetching photo. Yeah. If you want to see the very photo, smart. go sneakydragon.com and uh, episode 486 in the comments, there is the photo um, in, the, in Crystal's uh, message. And uh, here comes another one. And because I put uh, so much effort into Lily Munster, here's a photo taken with some patrons who stopped by the library that Halloween. We have another nice picture there. Uh, question of the week. It is hard for me to judge others' appreciation levels for actors uh, that I enjoy. I try to catch anything Ewan McGregor is in. I'm going to interrupt here and say, eh, we also got tickets in the West End to see Ewan McGregor in Guys and Dolls. So that was that was uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, I think really that's, a good, that's a good example of, I think, of, a, of an actor whose, whose range is underappreciated. I remember mm-hmm. seeing him in Lipstick on Your Collar, the Dennis Potter uh, written, you know, the guy who did Singing Detective. Uh, he did a, an, another one of those sort of things where the characters are singing songs and doing, you know, performances in, to, in, in, the, in the play or in the TV so, show. And, and that, he was really good in that as well. Like, that was before, um, before Trainspotting and stuff like that, you know, and he really stood out amongst that cast. Cool. Uh- uh, but I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if he is collectively considered appreciated or underappreciated. He did appear in Star Wars, so that gives him some level of celebrity, and will again soon. Uh, <laughs> got the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Really good cast. Uh, I also wonder if people realized what a national treasure Dick Van Dyke is. Good mm-hmm. point. From yeah. mad dancing skills and physical comedy to a wide variety of films and television, I think he's an all-around talent, with the exception of his terrible accent in Mary Poppins. I am tempted um, because I also have to be much like David does to uh, look up the Carol Burnett show where he was a regular who I believe replaced Harvey Corman in the uh, final seasons. So you'll catch that. Uh, Sub question. Uh, Bandits of the uh, Natchez trance starring Zachary Scott was filmed at nearby natural bridge resort in late uh, in the late 1950s. An open casting call was held for extras, so a number of residents had the opportunity to appear in that movie. I've heard from old-timers that production was slowed because the locals cast as extras 
would get excited and shout out things like, look out, he's got a gun <laughs> during the filming. I've never <laughs> seen the film. Oh, I guess this must have been uh, B-grade as it never had an official uh, or bootleg release on VHS or DVD. Uh, looking forward to the next podcast. That is uh, that is very cool. Uh, thank you so much. So uh, you and, uh, and that Lily Munster uh, costume was also adorable. But the... Um... Uh, you and McGregor, yeah. With, uh, Lipstick on the color was 1993. So, and I think Transpotting was 96 or 97 or something like that, right? Somewhere around there. That sounds about right, yeah. So, yeah, so quite a bit before that. Uh, I just remember, because I, I really liked Dennis Potter after I first saw The Singing Detective, so I'd always keep an eye open for his shows. And they're often showed on, on PBS or on CBC. And I think Lipstick on Your Collar was one of those ones where they ran at the perfect time of a, at 11 o'clock at, or 12 o'clock at night or whatever after the news. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things where you're like, well, we bought this show. We might as well play it. When do you want to play it, George? I don't know. Midnight after the news? <laughs> Perfect time, right? Great idea. So, uh, great idea, JB. So they, they uh, put it on at that weird time. But yeah, I, I taped it and I, so I could watch it over and over again. But unfortunately, if you're, look, my tape if you're looking for the, for, the, yeah, for the movie Natchez Trace, it's not called Bandits of the Natchez Trace oh, now, yep. or at least on IMDb. It's just called Natchez Trace. Ah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I cannot find uh, I cannot find a trailer for it, and I cannot find it on YouTube. Huh. Uh, so there we go. Sorry, I wish I wish I could. Let's see. I would like to for you. Oh wait, nope, there it is. Okay, uh, you can watch it apparently on da- on Daily Motion. Oh wait, yeah, you can watch it a couple of places. There, it's fine. Oh, cool. There you cool. go. Just Google it, look up video, bam, look it up. Fun. Don't forget there. its sequel, Natchez Libre. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's that grumbling about? You know what? You know what it is. You know exactly what it is. Don't play innocent. Uh, don't know. The innocent Nazi. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Dave, yeah. uh, uh, how do people reach us uh, if they want to be on our uh, reading rainbow? Oh, wait, first of all, yeah. was there any emails? There were no emails this week. Very good. I'm very, uh, I'm very bitter about it. But how, okay, well, how can we get emails then? Well, you know what, Ian? Just to speed things along, I told people that when you were gone earlier in the show. Oh, oh, shit in a hat. So Sorry. let's hear your plugs, sir. Okay, here's the plugs. <laughs> Wait, here come the plugs. did you just the shit in a hat? Here come the plugs. The plugs are here. If you uh, <laughs> walk into a bookstore now, be careful. Wear masks. Be, 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 be careful. Uh, but uh, but here are the books that we put together, and here are them now. Uh, I do a book called Sparks about two cats who want to be heroes. No one takes cats seriously as heroes, so they dress up as a dog, and they become the most successful uh, superhero dog in the world. Uh, and I do it with my friend David over here. I write them. David colors them. Our friend Nina Matsumoto writes them. I say them. There's two books out. That's Is there true. a third one coming? Yes. David what? is working hard on it right now. I am. Nina worked hard on her drawing. She's still working hard in it. I worked hard, too. I've been looking at the colors for them, and they're freaking beautiful. But let's talk about the ones you can actually see first. One is <laughs> called Sparks. The next one is called Sparks Double Dog Dare. Oh, in bookstores. Have they won awards? Yes. Have they been Canadian bestsellers? Yes. All that stuff. Hey, let's talk about some books that weren't uh, bestsellers. Uh, Extra Sisters. <laughs> I did a, I did a graph, uh, two, two graphic novels. Uh, and the Extra Sisters line that I do with uh, Giselle Legacy. Undeservedly uh, not bestsellers. They were, oh, they're, they're so good. 
They're so people good. seem to enjoy them and now we enjoy doing them. Yeah. Uh, they are about uh, two sisters, or are they, mm. who will help you if you accidentally, uh, or on purpose, sell your soul to the devil. Or will they? The first they? book is called, oh. uh, yeah, Exorcisters uh, uh, Damned If You Don't, and the second one is called uh, Exorcisters Kick in the Darkness. Both are in your local bookstore. If you want to read a comic that I've uh, done with my wife, Pia Guerra, uh, it's called Super, and you can do it, you get it this way. Uh, go to our website, which is, this is my website with my wife, hellkitty.com. And uh, Pia, of course, is, is best known for uh, working on Why the Last Man. She is also co-creator of Why the Last Man and, and the artist on it. Uh, she is all, which is going to be a TV series uh, coming very shortly from uh, FX Hulu. Um, but uh, we, we put together something that we enjoy with our friend uh, Moritat called Super. So if you go to hellkitty.com slash super, we got a comic on there for you, and it's pay whatever you want. If you don't want to pay anything, enter zero. Fine. We don't care. It's cool. Do it. And if you want to just pay zero, period, well, that's fine, too. We've got something for you. If you go to Go Comics, which is where you find all of the delightful comics, from Liberator of Concentration Camps, Charles M. Schultz, to <laughs> uh, Dave's favorite strip, Luann, to the strip that I do with my wife, Mannequin on the Moon, uh, Go Comics, Enter Mannequin on the Moon, and you will find our uh, comic, our daily comic that we do. And it has been uh, trending pretty high lately in uh, gag, uh, web comics, and offbeats. So uh, go check that out if you'd like. I'm glad. I uh, just wanted to put in a little plug for you that I've been uh, following it faithfully and enjoying it immensely. Thank you very, very much. And I, I also like the little uh, attempts to top your jokes that people put in the comments. <laughs> So, so strange. It's, very random. it's, it's so very strange. Random. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, I guess that's a love your work. Yeah, it's a, a nice sort. thing. It's it's people yeah. want to play along. You, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can give comments if you want. You can like the strips, which helps us with uh, you know uh, it helps us with things. Uh, by the way, if you want to like this show, Sneaky Dragon, you can do that on iTunes and uh, give us a little uh, like on there or a review. That really helps people to find us. So we appreciate that as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is the end of uh, my plugs. Yeah, we don't get a lot of reviews of Sneaky Dragon, but we did get a recent one of Completely Beatles, which I like, because they said, I only give this show five stars because I'm... I'm, I'm I, uh, sorry, I'll say it again. I, am, I only give this show five stars because I am unable to give it seven or eight like I'd like to. Sorry, I like that. That was a good review. And you wouldn't want to give it number nine? Number nine? Number nine. Number nine? Number nine. Yeah, it's a Beatles reference. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's good. Or you could just, I'm glad they didn't just give us a Fab Four. Exactly. There you are. Keep it, keep, uh, keep we, it with we, the fifth Beatles, five stars. Any feedback or anything that stuff we like. We like to hear from you guys. It's true. You can write to us via the ways I, I said earlier in the show. Yep. And what, were the, what was the question? The question was? The question was, uh, going with the uh, Turner Classic Movies uh, mm -hmm. thing of reframed. Yeah. Uh, what is a uh, movie that you would recommend, but you feel you would have to give it some context beforehand? My phone again. Oop, not really popular. Um, what? I think, okay, I want to I want to kind of go in, in an obscure way here. Okay. I would also accept, by the way, for that, yep. songs. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go from a, a different direction, but it's sort of something that came about through our talking, which is I'd like, because we're talking about Fred Astaire, Mm -hmm. And I would like to hear uh, from people your favorite dancer. Ah, it could be it could be stage, it could be screen, it could be wherever. I'm just curious. I'd like to know. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of Hollywood musicals. 
Yeah. Who's but your favorite I, Hufford? Yeah, and but I also love um I love to go to the ballet and I love modern dance as well. I like anything that's about extreme like about body control and and people who are like super fit and have like this kind of amazing control of of their bodies. I think that's just a uh, I just love that. It's a real achievement. As someone who wasn't really who loved physical activities but wasn't really sporty, I like I I I really kind of became like enamored by people who have athletic abilities or like uh, gymnastic athletic abilities or, sure. or or dancing and stuff like that. I think that's just uh, I think it's underappreciated uh, the amazing amazing uh, fitness of those people. There's um some video is showing a a a jockey guy at work of a ballet dancer doing these incredible body lifts where he's lifting his body with one with one arm. And it's just astounding the amount of of body control and just the core strength of that guy is just like mind blowing. So yeah. Anyway, that's my question for this week. Just curious if you are a fan of that sort of thing, like I am. Let me know who you who you like. Very good. There you go. So everyone, I guess I'm gonna end the show now because we've been going for a while. As has been our usual modus operandi the last little while. So uh, let us say. Um, I was- I was going to try and. Th- I think you know what? I'm so bad. I now qualify for the vaccine. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so bad at lyrics. I was going to sing a little bit of a song, but I can't remember the lyrics for it. So that that's stupid. Let's just let's just end the show. That I'm embarrassed and ashamed of myself. It's so everyone, a song Dave can't remember. That's he right. knew it once, <laughs> but that has changed. That's right. This is the song that never starts. It just never goes anywhere at all. He could start singing it one day, but Dave won't even start that song. All right, everyone. See you soon. Take care.